spared no expense quality around this place. It's kind of fun. It's super fancy. <laughs> I love it. And the Lancero is the fanciest kind of cigar, really. Those were prolific for many years until the 80s and 90s when, for some reason, oil tycoons wanted cigars that were bigger and bigger. Just in case it goes out. Like, they wanted the largest cigar that could fit in their mouth. And they started to look at cigars like that as being too delicate. Wow. But those were, like, the predominant cigar sizes in Europe for many years. And now they're making a comeback these last couple of years, and I absolutely love them. It's probably my, uh, my favorite types of cigars are those, those more narrow gauges. This is beautiful. The amount of dumb shit that happens because people have to, like, gender things or link their masculinity to how they consume something is so fucking stupid. I think really that was it, is that it just felt, for some reason... Business owners, lawyers, bankers, tycoons thought that it seemed more masculine to have a, a bigger thing in your mouth. I don't wow. really understand yeah. why that would be the case. Let's do it. It's a cartoonishly <laughs> gigantic cigars, God. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's just, it's all that stuff. Right. It always traces Where's back to like from? some uncomfortable guy with no self-esteem. Bigger then, hat, bigger belt buckle, yeah, exactly. bigger cigar. Boots that don't even fit, like two sizes yeah. too big, so you look yeah. real big. Thigh high cowboy boots. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the worst. I don't worst. Like boots on like women. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. not attractive. Yeah, that's too much. You know it's all sweaty. I need sweaty. to see that leg. Plus, you know it's all sweaty in there. If you got boots yeah. that go up that high, oh, yeah. that is Come some on. funk. Oh, big no. time. Picture the water line all the way up to the boot. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> just salt layers going the whole way down. Goldfish in oh. there and shit. <laughs> <laughs> like an internal version of the heel from uh, uh, um, I'm gonna get you sucker. <laughs> Instead of having fish in the heels, <laughs> it's just oh, goldfish man. swimming around in the sweat water. That is classic. <laughs> you know how many people I know that haven't seen I'm gonna get you sucker? That's criminal. A lot. Super criminal. Oh my god. Josh, you seen I'm gonna get you sucker? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oof. I was gonna be super <laughs> mad at you. That movie is something else, man. That's like you look at all of the spoof movies that happen now, and everybody is still basically just still chasing that. It's like that and Mel Brooks together. That's yeah. what everybody's trying to get. But that yeah. movie is almost perfect. That was my jam. Hollywood Shuffle, same thing. Yes, my jam. Like wow, y'all doing it. And even though it's like the child of those, I would also say don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Mm-hmm. So you know, I never seen Menace to Society. No shit. Never saw Menace to oh, Society shit. because. I, I'm a weird I'm, I'm one of these weird Tupac fans Okay Like hardcore weird Tupac fans So he got kicked off of The movie Menace to Society Like he was supposed to be in it? He was supposed to be in Menace to Society Fuck I vaguely he, recall this He got this into a too. fight with one of the Hughes brothers Sure And they kicked him off And they kicked him off Okay and Damn Years like forever before the internet It was always this thing that he was supposed to play Um Lorenz Tate's character. Sure, I could see that. He was, yeah, right? Because he's this crazy dude. Mm -hmm. But that actually wasn't the character he was supposed to play. And this is why he got kicked off and why he was so pissed is he was supposed to play this character that had just got out of prison. And I forget what the character is because I've never seen the movie. Mm -hmm. He he just got out of prison and he used to be this gangbang dude and used to be this real buck dude. But now he's calmed down and he's found religion. Yep. And, and in rehearsals at the table read, Tupac was like, why is he such a punk, you know? <laughs> and, and if he's got to be this punk, let's go back and tell his, his origin right. story, how he got to this. Not just having to be like a punchline. Not just this thing of 
him coming out of prison, and now he's the the bean pie slinging dude. Yeah. And so he was trying to like get them to rewrite the stuff, and obviously they're like, nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> Sorry, flick. He went Tupac on that ass. It's it's wild. Uh, Wait, so they rewrote the role, or just no? Like, they didn't. They just recast. He, he just it. he fought him. They just <laughs> kicked him out. Mm-hmm. So they just cut the character out completely. No, the character's no. still in the movie. Oh, I thought you okay. Completely. I thought you were saying that they reformulated Mm-mm. the way that I haven't seen that movie in years. I have seen. It. I used to watch that a lot when I was in junior high. A 12-year-old Charles used to watch that with his f- little friends in from my Catholic Hilarious. middle school. I love it. <laughs> I probably haven't seen it in 20 years. You were, you were the exact demographic they made it for. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Catholic middle school kids. <laughs> While we were drinking Mountain Dew vodkas I in my, in my buddy Troy Riddle's basement, who like, I had a 40 used to be in the NHL. Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> crushing the family size bag of Doritos. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, my uh, my cousin uh, was in gang related with with Tupac. Oh shit! And he said uh, he he like I love this story so much because he was he was my favorite rapper at that time. He was because he he had that he showed both sides. You know, he could be the hardest motherfucker on the planet, and I would absolutely be frightened of him, even though physically I was larger. Yep. But then also. Like, he could bring the heart back with anything. You know, keep your head up and Brenda's got a baby. But uh, my cousin told me that all of these, like, known actors that were even just doing the bit parts, these dudes that have been doing it for 20 or 30 years, everybody would just shut up and be hypnotized because he brought so much of himself to the character. And even though that was, like, an average at-best movie, like, Brad was like, there's a a scene where uh, he was one of the lawyers, and there's a scene where Tupac's character just looks at him and he goes, I've never forgotten a line in my life. And I compl- my mind went completely blank. That's Because I was staring at his eyes, and there was such an intensity there. Just gone. Mm. <laughs> He's like, so I fucked up a take and then mm. pissed him off. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. And it still blows me away. What's your cousin's name? His name's Brad Greenquist. Brad Greenquist. The only things that you know him, so he's a lawyer in that movie. And uh, if you ever see the old Pet Cemetery from like eighty yeah, nine, I, I just like watch the that only movie. Pet Cemetery. Well, yeah, there you the go. new one's whack. Yeah, yeah. super yeah. whack. But he uh, he's the guy that gets uh, he gets hit by the truck and his brains are all hanging out. Spoiler he com- alert! Comes it's fucking forty years ago. <laughs> he, com- he comes back as the ghost and he's like, "Don't go up there." Oh, yeah, that's my cousin Brad. On the original oh, cover, yeah. on the original cover of the VHS tape yeah. and on the poster, he that was him. That's so. Wow. And, and like my Brad family was like, host. cousin Brad's in a movie. Let's go! And I was literally, <laughs> I was ten years old. You get to watch your cousin die. And yeah. I didn't even, honestly, it didn't even phase <laughs> me about that. It was the the little kid that cuts the dude's Achilles tendon oh. from under the bed. Well, I could talk not talk about Achilles right now. I literally had yeah, no shit. I couldn't. I'm recovering. So. I kept my feet under covers <laughs> for like a decade after that. Okay. Because I was so afraid. Don't lie, you still do. That if I, no, I hate it. I hate it. But I like, you said that once on the pod that you still kind of like keep your feet. Mm-mm, in. No, I kick them out every oh, time. Oh, I will. Shit, okay. I will rip all the covers. Is that off your way of saying I'm not afraid? I'm yes. not afraid. Yes. <laughs> You're not gonna get me now. Come get these yeah. Achilles. Creepy yeah. ass kid Just with a it. scalpel underneath the bed. Where did he get a scalpel? I don't know, but uh, yeah. Man. So uh, it was. I always liked that I had. I had a one degree separation that from somebody tight. who spent months. That is the best with Tupac, Tupac Shakur story I think I've like heard. I ever. think now we know what question you have to ask. Yeah, I do. Because, I, I right? got it. All right, we'll we'll oh, change wow. that. He was hemming and hawing over two questions. So <laughs> I think I think we got it sorted. Well, it's uh, you know this actually leads perfectly into into in, eh, into introducing our guest yes. because it. It's fun for us sometimes to get to be fans of people and then sit down and get to actually like hang out and talk. 
And uh, the first time I saw you perform live was was at a Will Steger climate change event, which still blows me away. Yeah. But at the same time, I like I wouldn't have noticed that you missed lyrics. I just couldn't. I, I loved what we were getting. There, it was such a wide array of people, speakers and performers and all that. And I was I couldn't figure out how on earth anybody booked all that. Like, how long ago was this? Uh, would have been 2018. Yeah, the end of 2018. End of 2018. Okay. Yeah, it was winter. Winter. Um, and yeah, it was like uh, you were up there. Laserbeak was up there. Abby Wolf played. Uh, uh, a Native American chief came up and gave like an incredible uh, speech about stop ignoring this. Like our people have been yelling this and screaming this since you showed up. Stop it. Um, and then ended up tying it into understanding empathy is also how you can understand the world around you. And if you don't care about things around you, there's nothing you can do. As human beings, empathy is our greatest superpower. And like, that was amazing. But then, then it got done. And I was like, I need to go talk to Beak and figure out like what your story is. And then since then, I've just been following you as a fan and been fortunate enough that we've run into each other a couple of times. I got to catch your show at 7th Street. I actually left his 40th birthday to go catch you at 7th mm. <laughs> uh, Street Entry. So you left here. Is this, that's where my birthday was. Yes. <laughs> we were upstairs. Yeah, doing it. Getting after it. And then uh, I was by far and away the best dressed human that has ever walked into that place. I tried you were to like, dapper as I tried to like pull nice. shit off. I was like untying nah. ties. And Gotta <laughs> love it. Gotta love it. I like. I love that the the dude checking IDs at the door was like, "Are you coming in here?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> Are you filming the Transporter 11? Yes, exactly. Did are, you Jason, the are you the bad guy from yeah, Transporter 11? Did Jason Statham have an eating disorder and start gaining weight? What's, what's going on here? Did he find out he has giant syndrome late yes, in life? Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. James, but, Jason Statham giant syndrome is probably not the name of this episode, right? Definitely now. not. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, for people that are going get to get to know your voice here over the next uh, hour or two, do you want to introduce yourself and let people know uh, who you are and where you're from? Yeah, my name is Chad. My name is Longshot. My mama did name me Chad. My grandma named me Chad. She named me after the country in Africa, actually. No shit. Yeah. Not some douchey white dude at a bar. <laughs> um, I'm from Chicago originally. Um, and I live here in Minneapolis. I've been here since 2009. Um, I moved here because I was doing my thing in Chicago with the music, um, put out my first little record. I, the first thing I put out was a record, um, with DJ Anomaly in Chicago. Cause he was like, <laughs> he was like, yo, you gotta, we gotta put out a record. Gotta put out a record. Can't just put out a, uh, this is 2002, it, or 2001. Damn. We put it out in February, 2002. So at that time, vinyl was dead yeah you know people were making cds and tapes still and you know and so hibernating for yeah, a long he, time he was like <laughs> we gotta put out a piece of vinyl that's how dj's are gonna take us serious that's mm. how people are gonna take us serious so that's what we did we cut a, a a single we had an a side b side and a little bonus the a side was called happiness is hard to find that was february 2002 was it a, a wow. 45 or was it a 12 inch it was a 12 inch damn yep we like did it you know, like a like white label promo. Yep, that's fucking yep. awesome. Yep, holy yep. shit, that's awesome. And literally, while we were in the recording studio, this was the first time I had like really been in the recording studio. I was twenty one, twenty two, and he was like, 
<laughs> Herb Magazine. You remember Herb? Mm-hmm. He was like, if we could get a review in this magazine, we're, we're on our way. <laughs> and he sent the, the single to him, and they reviewed it. And they gave it like a C minus or something, you know. But I was just like, yes. Yeah, they put it Dope. somewhere. It, they gave it a C minus, but they were very positive in the review. You but, know? but they're also like, who the like fuck gets their demo graded by? You know, like what I'm saying? Like, I got it twice, actually. That's amazing. So then right after that, that caught the attention of some people in Chicago, right? And this little label, they, they actually weren't a label at the time. They were not a label. They were just a recording studio in Evanston, and my homeboy was friends with them, and so he took him the magazine article, or sorry, yeah, he took him the magazine article and was like, damn, this is my home, he's from, I was living in Evanston at the time, and so he was like, the dude who was on the studio was like, where's he recording? I'm gonna come here, we'll record everything for free, so I went there and recorded lit, if anybody knows how I record, I went crazy. I probably recorded like the first day. I probably recorded ten songs that first day in the studio. And again, bringing Damn. it back to you, just on some Tupac shit. Yep, just went crazy. And we ended up doing. They did. They put out my. They they recorded the first album, and then I sent again. I sent my demo album, fifteen tracks on this album. My first album was called uh, Open Mouth Fed. I sent that demo to Herb because. I just sent it because I was like, well, they reviewed the mm-hmm. well, white label. Let's see. Dog, they reviewed that demo. They reviewed my album demo. And then not only did they review the album demo, the, the, this cat hit me up and was like, yo, we, we really love your music and we want to get you on the album. And then a couple days after that, they're like, you're Herb Next 100, right? If you ever remember that, that yeah. was like this mm-hmm. thing. In 2003... The Herb Next 100 class from Chicago was me, this cat named Diverse, who is an amazing MC. Okay. He was signed to Chocolate Industries. Chocolate Industries put out Lady Sovereign. They put out Cool Kids' first album. Big deal Mm. shit. He was really dope. And Kanye West. (laughs) Uh, Those are the three people. And then Mac Lethal was in it. He was was young Mac Lethal coming out. Uh, Proof from D12. Shit. We're all in this Herb Next 100, because it's not Herb Next 100 rappers. It's Herb Next 100 artists around yep. the world. Yeah. So they're highlighting all these different people, and I just felt so like, okay. And I'm just little old me not knowing none of this shit. So that's kind of what kickstarted everything and just kept going. And then I started fucking with the Moleman, this legendary production crew in Chicago. Yeah. Um, then um, one of my soulmates on this earth is Psalm One, who's the first uh, woman signed to Rhyme Sayers. Yep. Um, and she took me on tour as her hype man. And so that's how I even started messing with Toki and Brother Ali and all the whole Rhyme Sayers crew. And, um, and eventually why I even came here was I, was I was finishing up my contract with the label I was with in Chicago, EV Records. And... Uh, won this little, Rhyme Sayers did this, like, when they put out Jake One's album, they had this, like, little songwriting remix contest where they're, like, pick a beat off the album, off the Jake One album, and then make a song with it. Yeah. So I did that. They, like, picked their five favorite songs, had people vote on it, you know, like, on the internet or whatever. I ended up winning that vote. I got, like, a little single deal. And so in my head, I was like, I'm going to turn my single deal into an album deal. 
So I was like, peace out, Chicago. <laughs> going to Minneapolis. Because everyone was always like, go to New York, go to L.A. Yeah. You're, you're a big time, you're a major label artist. And I've always felt that, but I've never wanted that major label drama or that just, I just never wanted that. I always, like, I want to stay independent. I always want to be in complete control. <clears throat> and granted, uh, Rhyme Series is distributed by, like, what, Warner Brothers or Universal, whoever. So they're technically, time, yeah. you know, like an a, a, a indie major. Yeah, they're an in, indie major. Is a great you know, point. and so yeah. it's like, yeah, you're going to have you're gonna have any situation that you, you go into unless it's, like, you build your own record label and you build your own, you know, distribution. And, you, you know, you're going to go into some type of situation where you're going to have someone telling you something. Yep. So mm. um, I just kind of like, I, at the time, I really respected how they were doing their business and, and really what it was for me. I just wanted a tour. Yeah. That's it. Well, and that's what, that's what built that whole empire was. That's it. Finding artists that not only like were talented, but also could work together on a stage show and go across the country. Cause you could go to any rhyme series show. And even if you only knew one person, you were going to come out liking at least one other artist. Yep. Cause you kind of got a little bit, it was almost like a, like a, a review of the label every yep. time you go to a show. Because they held their own parties. They weren't, it, I never been to a, um, a rhyme series like function in terms of like, if it was an atmosphere tour or a brother Ali tour and that, where there was a opening act from that city. No. Yeah. They provided the opening acts, they provided the DJs. It was like they say, they they brought the party to you. Yep. Let's make party. You know what I'm saying? And that's what they that's what they do. That's what they did. And that's I wanted that very much because that's the type of artist I am. I'm a I'm a I'm a live performant performing performance driven artist. Like it's cool to like go in the studio and it's cool to like make these records and, and do all that, but where is the actual connection, mm -hmm. you know, with, with that record? It's like if I call my mom or I call my loved one and I tell them I love one, I love them all the time, but I never hug them and I never see their eyes when I say that shit. Yeah. Does it really mean anything? Nope. That's Does that I love you? Does that phone call mean anything? Does so that's what I feel like the record. Like, okay, does the record mean anything if I don't get to do it live? Not right. to me, really. <laughs> well, and I've seen your energy on stage. It's, I mean, that's yeah. infectious. It's 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 important. Yeah. It's important. It's you know, and that's why I like the 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 this next joint, you know, that I'm curating at Seven Street is called the healing because it's like, yeah, I'm highlighting all these different projects, but the overarching theme is healing. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit at the end again, but can you talk about what that, like when that is and, and what that's going to be? Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be this fall, September 10th. Um, and it's, it's, I guess it's so important because like, I like to make music that hopefully people find some common ground in, you know, that, that like, yo, if you're going through this or if you've been through this or you're feeling this way, you could turn on a song or, you know, um, go to a show and actually feel like there's somebody speaking for you. You know, I, I know a lot of times that that's a major thing, like feeling unheard. Yeah. Even in our personal relationships, like, our spouses or our kids or, you know, our friends, like, they need to be heard. 
you know, and whether that's us listening and giving them feedback and giving them advice, but also like, you know, being showing up in a way that <clears throat> for me just is 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 yeah, I, I like I'm, I want my soul to be touched when I'm listening to music. Yeah. That's just me. I don't, you know, and I'm not trying to like be cliche with it, but it's just that's how that's how important it is for me. That's it's super therapeutic, it's super cathartic. Um you could be it I don't it's funny, like when we were doing the pandemic and everyone's doing like their those like shows in their like bedrooms or like streaming them live. Yeah, and, yeah, and I was yeah. like, damn, I wonder how I would, how I would feel doing that. Because how I get down, and then the current was like, "Hey, will you do a live stream for us?" And I was <laughs> like, "Maybe." And so I quickly was able to secure an actual venue. I was actually able to get on a stage That's and do a sound check and yeah. like have monitors, yeah. <laughs> you know. So for me, it was beautiful, and it was like, okay, it don't, it don't. At the time, I was like, it don't have to be nobody here. For me to really, because I'm gonna, but actually after that I watched it. I was like, damn, I want I want people being there. Yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. I get it, it's still important just to be able to like fully do it. This in no way compares to what you did, but you know during the pandemic I I DJed for 17 years, and just as something kind of fun to do and also to help raise some money for some of my friends who had lost their careers, mm -hmm. uh, we were doing some online stuff and. It really, it, it blew me away how much of that energy I derive from the crowd. Like, I would catch myself fumbling over, what am I going to play next? <laughs> and it's not like the, the thousand people are out there, like, telling you the next song. No, but, but you can feel there's that something vibe. Exactly. Yes. You know, like, you feel where they're at. And yes. you're like, do we have to switch it up? Do we have to turn it up more? Mm. And missing that, man, it was tough. It was like a little part of me, like, one of my senses was shut off. And I was trying to, like, fumble my way through that. I couldn't imagine trying to do that if I had to be on the mic the entire time. It's, it was, yeah, it was different. And I, you know, and, and like I said, it, it, it still felt good to be doing, I couldn't imagine doing it, like, sitting in my, on my couch and trying to, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Sorry. Some uh, people excelled at it, but a lot of people, it was kind of awkward. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's it not, definitely not easy to do, I'm sure. Not my thing, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, uh, you you were kind enough to pick some, a spirit that we are very, very familiar with. Yeah, uh, I was going to go Hennessy, going back to the Tupac, but I was like, nah, that might, I might get a little too crunk if I... Hennessy's <laughs> delicious. <laughs> it is delicious, like, and it's thug life. I love Hennessy, but I just uh, got to look out for myself. Uh <laughs> I'm not gonna. Jamo will do. <laughs> Jamo will do. I'm not gonna call him out my name because I don't know how legal this we're, was. We're drinking Jameson, by the way. Yeah, oh, anyone, sorry, we're drinking Jameson. Mention? I did not say that. <laughs> we, are, we we got the a leader of the green right right next to us. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> but um, there was a, a a super high end charity event that I emceed, and everybody was dressed up. Everybody was looking nice. The people that were showing up there were spending thousands of dollars to be there. And you got all these chefs from all these restaurants that are cooking like bite-sized versions of the, their best dishes on their, on their menu. It was all for, uh, I, I shouldn't even say the charity because, <laughs> again, I don't know how legal this was. But one of the chefs that I look up to very much in this city comes walking up to me 
as we were like kind of next to the stage and he's wearing one of those uh, camelbacks, like the backpack oh, that yeah, you can yeah. drink out of. Yeah. And uh, he pulls a little plastic cup out and he goes, do you want some? <laughs> and I go, what the fuck is it? And he goes, Thug's passion. Oh, wow. And I, I go, what? Yeah, this was... dude made his own scratch Alizé. Love it. And then mixed it <laughs> fucking was going around and he goes i'm only pouring it for people that would understand what yes. this is and i was like dude this is the fucking coolest <sighs> shit ever amazing i'm looking out at people wearing jewelry that costs more than my annual income oh, and we're both sipping <laughs> a homemade thug's Thug passion. passion i love it it was it was <laughs> literally my favorite part of the entire night it was just it was so dope i'll oh, tell man. you off mic afterwards i'll tell you because <laughs> oh, so charles you know him Okay, that is great. <laughs> but it was just like I, I didn't, got some mental guesses. I very much had <laughs> like a. I didn't know you get down like that, sir. Yeah. Like that that we had a we had a different layer of our friendship afterwards. Yep, yep. And it. to this day, I still look at him like we're like friends now. Yeah. And when we see each other, it's not like hello. It's no, you like, throw up the like, W now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just before I go in, I just write thug life across <laughs> my belly and flash him. <laughs> yeah, you know what's up. That's so G. Oh, that's so G. Well. well Let's uh, cheers. cheers a little set, and we'll get into the first question. Boom. Boom. We got reach. There we go. Do you want some? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, actually. Hey, can you cheers over him, boy? We do, uh, we do have a fourth person here today. Uh, we, are, we are getting some, some Young footage. Young Josh. Who's an amazing artist himself. Oh, my God. He just played me his... Okay, this, this dude, I've been... This young man, this amazing artist, this amazing spirit, this is one of my soulmates, my brothers, he, <clears throat> my mentees, he um, has, he, he first of all opened, talk about people like, I've been super blessed, super blessed to have people literally open up their studios. Like I said, even that first joint where EV, where they're like, well, who's dude? Tell him to come here. You know, when I first got here, Bob Lindbergh, Got to shout this man out. First got here, I met him. Toki Wright introduced me to the whole scene one night. There was a party at the Fine Line um, where they were doing this crazy show, and I haven't seen it done since like this, where they paired up MCs. They paired up, like, mm. Muja and Toki. Whoa. And then they paired up Brother Ali and Slug to do, like, a versus. It was so crazy. This was in, like, 2010 or nine. So were they wow. doing their songs, or was it, like, yes. a, like a battle? They were doing their song. Okay, so it was literally like a verse. It was like a verse. And this shit. is so crazy, actually. Now I'm just thinking about this. Yep. Um, it was at the fine line, and literally the whole scene was there. Um, and so got to meet everyone, met Bob. Bob, same way. Yo, you here to work? Come come through. You know, met this this gentleman right here. Do you need a place to record? Come through. This is before. So I start, I've been recording myself and, and doing a whole bunch of uh, engineering stuff since the pandemic hit because I had to. Mm -hmm. um, but before that, I was just strictly, I wanted to collab with people, you know? And, and so I never, I now want to make beats. I, I never really wanted to learn how to record because I felt like that was a part of production, yeah. you know, that was very true to collaborating. And so um, meeting Josh and, and, and just having him open up his space to me, it was like, so important and so i've been able to like watch his growth as an artist as an mc and a singer and producer like just gradually through the years and he just sent me his this new single that he's about to put out and he's actually going to be a part of the night um the healing in september yes um because he's a healer you know what i'm saying and his oh, spirit is healing and so um and that's the same thing i feel about one below one below is a healer 
um, the Voice of Culture, they're a local drum and dance group. They're healers, um, led by Kenna Cotman. They're healers. She's a healer. So that whole night is just, is the curation is just about healing and, and, and being open and, and being vulnerable and, and exchanging energies. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it's super proud to, to be able to watch his growth and just, yeah, man. So it's special that he's here and, and helping out. Can we, can we shout out to, for any of our listeners that want to check his art out? Where Yeah, it's not even out yet, right? You ain't even trapped it yet. Next week, next week. Okay, what, what, Max Chillin. The oh. song is failure. Song is oh, failure. I, he ain't a failure. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, but Auto Tune Jesus. That that's too. That, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the album. That, that's so fire. If I will promise you right now, if you ever make an Auto Tune Jesus shirt, I will wear that shit every day. <laughs> it's going down. Oh, you know it's going down. Oh, I'm in. Make that make that happen by September. Yes. <laughs> Double XL, 100%. (laughs) That's great. Uh, All right, Charles, I think you're up first on the questions. You ain't kidding. So you moved here from Chicago in 2009. uh, We have a deep and enduring love and connection with Chicago on this podcast. I adore Chicago. I'm going to be there in two weeks. I travel there two or three times a year. I got a lot of friends there. So my question is, as a man with a profound knowledge of its trappings, what's something off-radar you'd recommend that people experience when they're in Chicago? Off-radar. Yeah, something that isn't just a, you know, you go on Eater and everybody goes there, or the same concert venues or comedy clubs that everybody goes to. Um, I would say, I mean, my answer is going to be two-part, okay? Let's do it. We love it, man. Two-part <laughs> answer. Because <laughs> half the I'm going to be real with you on these answers. I would say. Please do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give the first part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some caution. Do it safely. Sure. But I would say explore. <laughs> Look right in the camera on that one, too. <laughs> explore the west side and the south side of Chicago. Yeah. Yes. Because it, they get such bad raps, and it's so bad, and you're – don't go to these neighborhoods. And so those neighborhoods have beautiful things to offer. And, and, and such important history has gone down, um, especially on the south side. Um, but, you know, I would, say, I would say go explore those neighborhoods. Um, also just to beat that, that whole, like, stereotype of just, like, there's a certain people that live here. If you go to the south side of Chicago, you're going to see Chicago's very segregated. I don't yeah. think people really realize that. It's like uh, Russian people here and Little Italy and Pilsen. And so um, I would just say explore the south side. Really explore the south side. Go deep into the south side. Go to 95th. You know what I'm saying? Like, really go. Um, like I said, uh, I, would do it, I would do it safely. Um, I'm not going to tell anyone to, like, go crazy and go to Englewood at, at 10 o'clock at night. Nah. But, you know, I would. There's still beautiful parts of these neighborhoods um, that people should see. See the people. You know, um, um, say hi. You know, and, and it's not about being weird or nothing like that. Um, MacArthur's, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, super dope soul food restaurant. Um, Pearl's, another super dope um, spot on the south side. But, um those 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 relations are important breaking down those barriers you know what i'm saying um but then also i personally love the museums of chicago yeah 
Like, I, it, I know it's not, like, Absolutely. that may be, like, on people's radar, but I think a lot of times it gets looked over, like, especially, like, the DeSabo Museum. You know what I'm saying? Jean Baptiste DuSabo is one of, it, I think he's actually considered the founder of Chicago. Um, so that's an important, super important museum um, to go visit. Uh, the Field Museum, super important. Um, Museums of Science and Industry, which, again, is in Hyde Park. Um, on the south side, like go to these spots and and, and learn some of these uh, histories uh, of Chicago, especially um, the history of colored people. You know? Side side story: uh, the Field Museum of Natural History is top three coolest places I've ever DJed. So amazing! <laughs> and you got the DJ there. I got the DJ yeah. there. Yeah. It was yeah, like literally out. one of the greatest moments of my life. The I was I was trying to figure out like how to play to this crowd. Because there were a bunch of young people that wanted to turn up and a bunch of old people that were in really nice clothes. We were trying to figure out what to do. And one of the guys that had hired us comes up to me and he goes, are you going to keep playing this bullshit or are you going to turn the fuck up? And we were like, I mean, okay. So we turned the volumes up a little bit. And um, Paris by Jay-Z and Kanye had just come out. Yep. And so we you played dropped, 13 times in a row. We killed the music completely, went dead silent. And I yelled out, Chicago, are you ready? And then we hit it, ding dun, ding dun. Yes. And there was, there was this amazing, just charismatic security guard that had been working there. I'd say he was probably 60, maybe 65. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had like the, like the puffs of gray and white hair and like the, the monk ring around his head. And he just doubled over laughing. And when he regained his composure, he came over and he just gave us both just a little dab. and was yeah. like, that's the greatest shit I have ever yeah, seen in 30 right. years of working here. That's right. We're just, we were right underneath Sue. It was, dude, it was, it was the wildest thing. The pictures <laughs> from that shit, it's, oh. I, I almost don't believe it's real until we I look at the pictures. up in the museum. <laughs> exactly. That's right. I love it. <laughs> Strobing Sue. I'm about to yeah. go to Chicago <laughs> next weekend, or this weekend. What's on next weekend? This weekend I'm going, um. I am in a group in Chicago. Um, it's me. It's a duo. Me and a woman, Ange 13. She's an amazing MC. We're called Army of Two. And we're performing Sunday at the uh, Silver Room Block Party. Silver Room is this really dope um, uh, <clears throat> retail shop in Hyde Park. And they throw this amazing block party every year. And this is the first, first year that they're doing two days of it. And they're doing it on the beach. So it's about to really go down. I'm about Red. to have some fun. Yeah. I haven't been to Chicago since 2020. Oh, no, that's a lie. I went last year. I went to Vegas for Tupac's 50th birthday sure. to shoot. Uh, I did a little tri tribute song to him. It's, it wasn't even like a tribute song to him, but I was like referencing a bunch of Tupac stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then I actually shot at the, like, the location where he oh. got killed. It was the most spiritual thing I possibly, man, I, it was, it was wild. The whole experience was wild. That's crazy. Cause I didn't even know that there was like a, like a, a, a spot. I didn't know, but there's a light pole. Like right before you get to the corner on, uh, Flamingo and Coval. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, everyone tagged it up and like that day, obviously it was his 50th birthday. So people were coming by dropping flowers and these families were coming. It was so wild. I, uh, I walked by there with Marnie a year ago and I pointed it out to her that that's what that was. And she was like, what? And it was actually a coincidence that we were walking past there. What day? When you, were you there? Oh, that was uh, almost exactly a year ago. Almost exactly a year ago. Okay, so you right after I left. Yeah, it wasn't, it was no occasion or anything like that. Okay, it just yeah. ended up 
total fucking coincidence that we were right there. That's crazy. Like you just happened yeah. to be like, wait, this is where Tupac died. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was a wild experience. Like this family of like, there was a guy, his wife, and they had like four or five kids with them. They like walk up and you know how you're like doing the video and you're playing the music out. So the music's playing and I'm doing my performance mm-hmm. and the guy's the, uh, videographer stops and like, one of the gir- little girls is like bawling, crying, and sh- she comes up with her dad, and he's just like, "Man, I just want to introduce my my daughter wanted to meet you, but she's super shy, but she loves Tupac, Whoa. and she's just loving your music, and she's loving your performance, and mm-hmm. so I just want to introduce you and say thank you, and like, it was so that's amazing, yeah, like it was wild." Like, straight up, nothing. I can't even make this stuff up. People yeah. driving by in cars, like, get that shit, boy. <laughs> Tupac living. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was, it was. It was okay, I'm wrong. It was uh, uh, Valentine's Day when I took Marnie there uh, in 2019. Mm, 2019, just okay. before. Got it. Shit hit the fan, like, a month before. Mm. <laughs> yep. So this is about Damn, yeah, y'all were right. Three years ago now. Yeah. I see. I gotta go. I I was there. I was there a year and a half ago, and I didn't want to go there because I didn't want to see it just be like a commercialized, like tourist stop. Yeah, you know, like but it's not like that. I, it's well, not at all. No, I, now not, that you said that's that, that's why like, you, now to, I go. you almost have to point it out to somebody. Yeah. It's not like uh, at least under ordinary circumstances, it's not like a. I mean, big that's what I'm thing. saying. You would think that 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 shit should have like. YouTube page is dedicated to yeah, it. Right. Like, I've never even heard of anyone even being like, well, there's this poll there that you can like go and Yeah. No. Yeah, it's I've relatively innocuous. Right. Like you could walk right past yeah, that and not even know up. that it's oh, there. Straight up. I will go next time. Yeah, it's it's yeah. powerful though. That was I mean, Pac just really had a huge impact on me. I didn't have a dad growing up. I got taken from my mom when I was eight years old. You know, my mom has six kids by four different dudes, you know. So for me, looking for and every person every important person in my life that's ever taught me anything mostly have been women it's my mom my grandmother sister julia you know what i'm saying like all of my girlfriends so it's like i was i've always been looking for this you know when i was learning how to play football i looked at footage of bo jackson and jim brown when i was Mm -hmm. learning how to play basketball it was michael jordan and magic johnson you know, when I was learning how to play baseball, it was Sean Dunstan and Ernie Banks. Like, literally, I'm just looking at these black men trying to be like them in this one particular area because I don't have one dude to show me how to do all of it. My auntie showed me how to shave. That, <coughs> I think that, that tracks really well in this room. There's, yeah. a, there's a fair amount of, of uh, father relationship unpacking that has happened on the yep. show. Yep, my shit is deep and, you know, I'm not, it's funny, I've been, I've been trying to, like, emotionally mature. Mm-hmm. Straight up, I feel like I'm 43, and I feel like I'm still holding on to things that happened before I was even born. Sure. You know? Right. right. And that They've proved that that's real. I can't, I'm having a hard time of letting that shit go. I, I get it told all the time. Let that shit go, Chad. Push it down. Like, I don't know how to do that. Like, maybe that's the artist in me. Maybe that's the the sensitive part of me or whatever. But I don't know how to do that. 
it's not a light switch either. Yeah. You know, you can't just say, yeah, you're right. Never mind. And I tried talking to my dad even like, I, and, and why I bring up emotional maturity <clears throat> is because I'm not even emotionally mature to talk to this man. Yeah. And I don't even have a relationship with him, but I found myself getting like angry on some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, how come you never asked me how I'm doing? Yeah. I never even hugged you. I've talked to you like four times in my lifetime. And every time you've never asked me, how are you? And that's wow. weird to me. I ask strangers, how you doing? Every, you know, when I work with these little kids, every single time, yo, how are you doing today? What'd you eat for lunch? <laughs> Just well, simple stuff. Yeah, but the, isn't that also t- trying to like break that cycle and to change that? You know, like I, I, we've, I've actually talked about this literally on, on an episode before, but that's, I think that's part of the reason that I try to like give hugs and make people laugh and all that. Cause I know what it's like to be really lonely and not yeah. have anybody that has that to offer. And when you can give that to other people, it's almost comforting knowing, Hey, you're at least for this moment right now, you're not missing what I'm missing. Yep. And you're okay. Yeah. Like straight up. That's one of my major things is like, I want, like I, I want to I want to be good because I want people around me to feel like they're in the presence of good and that they can like be good as well even yeah. if things are bad outside of what where we are right now you know and and that's super important and and we don't have like one of my albums is called Instant for Eternity because I feel like we are trying to hold on to these moments of like good and happiness and like so that's why we take photos you know, and that's why yeah. we, we video and record things because we're trying to hold on to these moments of, of forever, you know. And, and so, it's, and really that's what life is, right? Adding up those moments of forever to, to now paint a picture of someone's life. And what is that picture going to look like? I want my shit to, to, to be a little muddy, a little sunny. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's probably some grass. There's some grass growing, but there's some concrete patches here. I want it all to be real, the whole fucking thing. Because my shit was never just white picket fence, sunny, and green grass with a dog. That was never my shit, ever. Even well, if I have experienced that, a slight glimpse of it, mm-hmm. you know. And most of the people that live in that scenario also But they'll never paint the picture of the other. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> ever. No, you're right, you're right there. <laughs> ever. Need it to be dark for the stars to show. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's, that's fucking sage. Guam? Chicago? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are we even talking yeah. about? Uh, <clears throat> I, um, my, my answer is also twofold. Uh, number one, I think that especially if you're not from maybe New York or maybe L.A., but really that's it, go and find an underground Chicago house club. Listen to where that sound came from. That is like, mm. as somebody who loved music, who loved DJing, I had all of my frame of reference was in the Twin Cities. And I, I had learned my history through like reading about people. And I had, you know, listened to songs. But go to one of the clubs that formed what everybody else is trying to copy now. Uh, I would say the same thing if you were in Detroit. Like there, Baltimore too. Like, Go see, if you care about music, go see where it's from. And for me, there's so much that you listen to on the radio right now that has links, whether it's, it's one generation or two generations, to everything that came out of that, that scene. And that scene never gets credit yep. for that. And I, I think it's, it's criminal. 
Um, and then the other flip was if, again, if you're not from like a bigger city than Chicago, go and f- try some food, like maybe a style of food that you don't normally go for. And for sure, do it at a time that you don't normally eat. Yep. You know, go up and, and hit Indian food at four in the morning and experience not only the food and the smells and who's working, but also who's sitting around you and eating. And you can do that in Chicago. Yeah. So yeah. Do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it, can, the city is the, built for you to do you, that. You can follow the sound of reggaeton at 4 a.m. Yes. You're going to go to Tony's yep. and yep. order some dope-ass lingua Kingston Mines. Go to Kingston Mines. Yeah. There's, a, there's an Indian joint on the north side called Garib Nawaz. And... Like, I dream about that place sometimes, and I've never eaten there. Text me that. I will. It's literally. Me and my girl are trying to figure out, like, where, where are we going to go eat? I've never been there before 1 a.m. And I, have, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever even had Indian food. It's, oh, that, really? sounds, that sounds. I'm telling you, this place, this place will blow loud, you out. But I don't think I have. And, like, she has been, like, pulling me out of shit and, like, making me do things that I normally mm. wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's get Indian food. And we were, like, trying to order some shit, like, post. And she was like, no, we got to go sit down and eat yep. Indian yeah. food. It I'm was, jealous about that in a way that I'm jealous about people who haven't seen Breaking Bad or The Wire. And that you have so I've much never, to explore still. I've never. Right. But Indian food, right? You haven't. So there's, like, a whole world no, of flavors. Seen. For sure. But I'm saying, like, oh, any yeah. of those. Get some. Yeah, Do well, all three. You can't, not at the same time, though, because if you got to go sit down at the restaurant, you're going to you're gonna have to watch The Wire afterwards. But just, uh. The fact that you have, you can experience this entire world of flavors, like yeah. an entire fucking universe of flavors, that's super dope. Well, yeah, and it, it was it was my friend Dennis. Um, his family owns Rossi's in downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. He was the one. I was like, "What do you want to do? Like, you want to go hit a bar around here?" He's like, "No, we're gonna get in a cab. We're gonna go 25 minutes. Dope. I'm taking yeah. you to some like late night Indian shit." Dope. And I like the whole time I was like, <laughs> are, "Are we really doing this right now?" He goes, "Shut up." And we walked Wait, in. What there. time was this? this is the, we we got there at about 2:30. Okay, because I was going to say that late at night, cab driver's flying. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 25 yeah. minutes. You know? Well, no, there was, there was some weird traffic and stuff. Like, I was ready For to give up. I was in a cab in Chicago, so I was like, ready fuck to out of me. Like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah. But that, that's, that's my answer. Like, I, yeah. like if, you have, if, you're, if you're at a place that has that much more time to go try things mm-hmm. and that much more history, go do it. And yeah. I think that ties into, like, what you were saying yep. about museums. Like, it's it's unfair to go to something that rich and then only do like the little tourist spots and you Gino. know write your name at Gino's East and go have a Portillo's. Yeah, like it's that. there's so much more to do and you'll you'll feel richer and that knowledge will stick with you yep. like when right. you go. But Charles, and what then about you'll you? probably pass it along to someone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, you need to go do this. Uh, I, this is actually really beautiful because my answer is a, a combination of your answers. And that is, uh, we mentioned on our, our Malort episode when we were talking about like what we love about Chicago in that mm-hmm. episode, uh, I was talking about trying just the assortment, the rainbow of flavors of different types of foods. And my favorite Mexican place anywhere is on the south side. It's called Atantanilco, A-T-O-T-O. N I L C O. Mm, where is it? I guarantee I'm saying it. You know it's like West 42nd, something like Tight. that. And it's close, uh, to Hyde Park, close to Hyde Park where I'm going to be. Yeah, and it's like I can see how people might feel intimidated wandering that area, but dude, trust me, just like get the Uber to drop you off right there if you're that worried. Yeah. And then c- go in there. 
everything's written in Spanish. There's napkins on the floor. No one in there speaks English. Mind-blowing El Pastor, mind-blowing lamb barbacoa, mm. all tacos. Yeah. Fucking incredible. My buddy Jesse Valenciana, he used to work for Goose Island. He lives in Nashville now. He took me there for the first time. Me and my brother, he took us there six or seven years ago. And he knows Mexican food as a Mexican man and someone who's like a food pro and a, you know, he's written cookbooks and shit. And he was like, I, I basically I told him like, take me to your favorite taco spot. Yes. Your favorite taco spot. Right now. Like when you were a kid, what, what is your, what's your, your joint? Take me to that place. And so he took us there and we were just floored. Ate way too much. And it doesn't have to be there, but that area is smattered with places like that. Right when you pop out the door, everywhere you look, you see smoke rolling out. You can smell just a variety of flavors. I guarantee there's all sorts of other cuisine there too, but it's predominantly Mexican, like right on that part of the street right there. And there's so much for you to see and explore and try and smell and see. Uh, like the, um, the number of experiences that people just stay outside of because there's the cocoon of the part of Chicago, you know, River North, uh, 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 Logan, you know, like I incubated myself yeah. in Logan for a long time because I had friends who lived there. And then I would take the train from the airport or drive in and you just be there the whole time. But that's if you're I mean, there the whole time, that's all there. you're seeing. Yes, right? If you're only out. in Wicker, only in Logan, only downtown and Loop or whatever, there's, you're missing so much. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, it's okay if you want to go do your, you want to go do the Portillo's and the French and, and you want to do like the, the beef, the Chicago beef and all that shit on your first trip because you want to be that traditional that, Chicago. That's, that's yeah. fine. Like if you want to do that, mm. but go back and like keep, keep busting out further and further, you know, you could also do more than that. Like it's, yeah. it's okay to, to try like those staples 100%, sure. but then like Just do, extend your trip. do other things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give yourself some bandwidth and see more of what Chicago is about. And that's the kind of thing that I think that, everybody should experience it's funny because when people ask me where do, where do i go in chicago i almost never tell them that and it's simply because i don't believe that they're going to spend the time yep. to travel down yep. you know even if they don't even Which if it's is not, sad that's what i'm saying right that's why they're it's like oh we're we're 20 yeah. minutes north i don't think i'm gonna make it down that far no. well you know like looking at people traveling to new york like how many people went to like brooklyn or harlem before it started gentrifying yeah you know outside sad. of like it, it's just for tourists, it's wait until it's like the cool thing, and then you can go there. It's like fuck that, man. Because by then, it's half, half, half. It's been washed away. Yeah. Sometimes you know? it's because you don't know because no one told you. So now I'm yep. telling you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. There you go. Get it. Should we cheers to that? Let's. Yeah. That's that's not a that's not a pour. <laughs> there it is. Pouring some more JMO. Yeah. Getting that nice footage with the gimbal cam. That is a nice gimbal, by the way. It's kind of hypnotic. Oh, there we go. Nice. There I might is. have to ask what gimbal that is because I could use a nice one. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. These. Cool. Yeah, a lot of those get bad reviews for various reasons. Gimbals, it seems like they're very touch and go. Dope. Yeah. Very nice. Ronin yeah, it is. Cool. I'm sure our viewers will see some of this footage at some stage. All right. Well, cheers, y'all. Yeah. Boom. Very much. Cheers, brother. So question two. Uh, what, is a, what is a song or an artist or a genre that people would be surprised to know that you, that you dig? Toro y moi. Fuck yeah. I love Toro. Toro Chaz is, <laughs> is one of so, 
So dope. So dope. Um, a and uh, an ex put me on to Toro probably around 2013 ish, which I think was around like anything in return came yeah, out around that. Yeah, it would have been within a year of that. Can you give me the cliff notes on what that is? I don't know. Oh man, it's what? I, how do you even describe? <laughs> Yeah. What do they call it? They called it like. Yeah, it's there's. So it's like summer love music. Yeah, they call it. It's hip. It's funky. I'm transcribing since this is off. Yeah, it's like hip hop. It's soul. It's a little bit of rock. Yeah, a little psychedelic for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Don't. They don't adhere themselves to like any like I don't like this guy doesn't play this one instrument and that yeah, person okay. plays that one instrument. It's it's wild. Yeah, it's so dope to me. Um, and I, I you know I don't I don't even listen to a lot of like rap like that. And it's mostly because I make a lot of music. This man will tell you he knows how I I make a lot of music. Um, I just do. I get my homeboy, Cell Uno, he is, like, he produced all of the healing, but he he started sending me beats. It's just, this is kind of nuts to me, actually. But he started sending me beats, I want to say, last April 2021. And since last April, I think we have, like, 65 songs. Jesus. That's wild. And that's not even, that's not including the healing. Right. We got 65 in a can right now. And and so I had a rehearsal with Beak yesterday. And shout out to Laser Beak who also produced our theme song. Our intro and our outro is uh, is Beak. I, I, I could give a whole podcast Love fest for beat. Also beat, a healer. Beat cast. Super healer, but, man. He put me on to the whole like crystals and shit. Yeah. You know, like the importance and the energies that they provide. And like he's he's yeah, he's put me on to so much shit. He's such a dude, like great father, great dude. Yeah, he's amazing. But we were rehearsing yesterday and I'm like, dog, I got a whole like I've got like ten songs of his that we're like, what do we do? You know? And and he don't even make he don't even make beats like that. Yeah, it's just that I just I love his production. I love I love um, I love the challenge of like what is he saying with his with his music. Yep. And then let me try and interpret that. Um, so I'm I'm constantly listening, trying to improve. I'm constantly trying to get better at my craft. And so. It's hard for me to listen to a lot and like discover a lot unless someone puts me on. Someone's got to put me on to something. I'm gonna apologize right now because I'm probably just gonna bombard you with a bunch of music. <laughs> hey, I, please do text me, I send will. me I all will. of it because I'm I'm always trying to um, learn and get inspiration from all artists. That's like that's like. When I listen to his new single, I'm like, damn, he went in. I need to get better. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you do you I, feel that way? What are you doing? I'm I'm fascinated by this question. So my uh, my former roommate and former bandmate, 
uh, is still touring around. He's the lead singer and songwriter from a group called Communist Daughter. Dope. And oh, yeah, I've heard of them. I would ask him, like, when we hadn't seen each other in a while, like, what are you even listening to? And if he was in a writing phase, he would always respond, nothing. Yep. Because I'm so afraid that subconsciously I'm going to start taking things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have something caught in my head. If it's too close to what I'm that's working on. That's a huge on. rap thing. Okay. I, I, I was just wondering. That's what I was going to ask. Me. Like, is that a thing that, a that you worry about? Okay. It's mm-hmm. It's like... <laughs> Before fucking, uh, what's your boy who sounds like uh, Ghostface? Here? No. Before Action Bronson, (laughs) you couldn't sound like nobody. Yeah. When when I was introduced to Action Bronson, uh, it was my boy Brian Omen, and he was, I was like, oh, Ghostface got some new shit? (laughs) He was like, nah, this is him. And I was like, I was, I was like, nah, dude. Now, let me, let, me, let me preface this by saying, I fuck with Action Bronson yep. now. But at that time, I was like, no. Because they had a whole skit talking about, I don't want you sounding like nobody from my clan on your album. I don't want you sounding like nobody from my clique. And so, to me, that was the thing. You don't sound like nobody. And so, as especially a rapper, you ain't about to fucking... I'm not about to listen to uh um and 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 look this is I, I actually was talking to um I just recorded a new artist um uh, her name is Space Baby today I just, she's a, she recorded her first song with me today amazing. now the song is amazing she snapped now she's been practicing she's been doing her thing right like really on her own in her room and like just like in her car whenever she gets a chance but like I was telling her and she don't sound like nobody but I was telling her mm-hmm. I was like that's what Finding your voice is, right? Because when you come out, you're, they're going to be like, oh, he's... I remember someone reviewed my very first album, Open Mouth Fed, and they said he sounds like a cross between um, Ludacris and Aesop Rock. That's just a lazy writer trying to find a way to not have to explain it. That's what I was... I was like, yeah, that's I didn't even know who Aesop Rock was at the time. And I had Everybody go, does This that is in now. 2003. That's bullshit. Every, every football player has got to be exactly like another football player that looks exactly that, like that. That's yeah. How, that's how it, when you go into the when you that. go into the NBA, they have what they call player profiles, yeah. and yeah. the player profile is someone who's already in the league. Yeah. Got the same uh, wingspan, same height. Someone who's already same in the body league. type. Like why what does it got to be the same about? guy? Like yeah, it's that's it's, that's it's so lazy. unfair. It's lazy. I that's, do I do have to admit though, when I was younger <laughs> and when I when I knew less and I listened to less. In the late 90s, when the battle rap scene here really started blowing up and like Idea and Brother Ali and Cancer and all those dudes were going, the first time I heard Brother Ali tear somebody apart, I was convinced that that was an Ice Cube bar that he had stolen. Because it's like his cadence <laughs> early, in, early in that time. Sounded like Cube. And his, his timber and his voice. Tone. Like I wasn't looking at what was going on on stage. I was talking to a friend and I was like, is he just doing an ice cube impression? <laughs> yeah, and it like it doesn't mean you can't do it. Well, and but but I, he didn't. It literally was that like no, like I, the comparison. Thing oh, yeah, saying, you know, yeah. you could say like, oh, I felt a little bit of mm-hmm. something I already recognize, mm-hmm. but, but when it, it's exclusively that for like a particular analyst or a reviewer or something, they're always sure. creating that that diametric line like that. Yeah, and I would oh, never just review like him dude. that way. And it's funny yeah. now, like like knowing him and going back as far as I do with his music catalog, it's really hard for me to see that now, yeah. you know? But every now and then... Same with Action Bronson. Yeah. I can't hear Ghostface Right, now. but what, when mm. you first did, you were like... All I heard was Ghost. Yeah, that's... All right, cool. I'm, I, I just wanted to... Well, Quam, who's your selection? 
or what is your selection? Oh, I, I thought you were going to go first. But to, oh yeah, okay. Well, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep it rolling with uh, the same theme as my last answer because I'm going to Mexico City with my beautiful wife in August, and man, I was uh, I was chilling working in my office like a month ago, and the windows were open, and there was a construction crew playing this really dope classic like Mexican music. And I was like, I'm not playing what I'm playing anymore. I'm listening to this while Sorry. I work. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. I was like, I hope they don't end work early because that was like my workflow that day oh. was them playing that. And I have almost zero knowledge of that genre of mm -hmm. music. And my, here we go, my lazy version of identifying what it is, is I'm like, I told my wife, who is a Spanish teacher, I texted her and said, this construction crew is playing mariachi music. I don't know that it's mariachi music. Right. It's just I associated yeah, it like the sure. sound was what I would hear a mariachi band playing. And then she told her students, and they got a huge kick out of it. She was like, oh, they loved it. They were so happy to hear that. But then she's like, what did it sound like? And then I started going through Spotify to try to find stuff. And I was like, no, that's not it, because I was looking up mariachi, and it was all wrong. So then I started looking up, like, classic Mexican music. Forget what the name of the playlist is that I've been playing. But when we were in Mexico City, I want to explore that genre and yeah. understand it better and maybe find like prolific bands or even bands that are playing music like that, like by uh, contemporary. So this playlist is called playing? traditional Mexican music Okay. that I've been kind of jamming on. And some of it sounds like what I'm looking for. And some of it sounds like too modern, but the first track on this playlist is called Los Dos Amigos. And it's by Los Cadetes de Linares. I am terrible at Spanish. I know that sounded <laughs> awful. But it fucking rules. It just sounds like, oh. I'm like, that's it. That's that sound. That's what I want to, when we're in Mexico City, that's what I want to find. Mm -hmm. And I want to, like, have some drinks and eat some food and cruise the streets and listen to music like that. Yeah. Indoor or outdoor, I don't care, but we need to explore that more. And then I want to gain an understanding of, because that's what happens anytime. You can't be afraid. I'm 40. You can't be afraid to explore a new genre just because you don't know anything about it. Yeah. As with anything you don't understand, then figure it out. Then yeah. you'll know. I'm admitting on the air as of this date, regardless of when you listen to this, that I don't know shit, but I want to know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm admitting I don't know anything, but I want to. I'm with so that's, that's what I would say uh, I'm, I'm like really uh, pumped about right now. That's awesome. For me, like it's tough because we, mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about music and I'm, I'm such like a, a slut when it comes to music. Like I want everything. Like I just want to hear it all. And what I've, so... I was going to, like, say some pop shit, but, like, mm -hmm. it's, that's not a surprise. Nobody's going to be, anybody that knows me is not going to be surprised that I love something that has a good hook. So I was trying to figure out, like, what else do I fuck with in, in my collection that, like, other friends of mine are like, ugh. And the thing that I came back to was uh, there's this dude, uh, he's a Japanese guy, he has a studio by himself, His name, he goes by the name Cornelius. Mm. And he's put out two, I believe, records. He might have a third, but I've tracked two down on vinyl. And I can't imagine how long it takes him to make an album because everything is done by him. And then he mixes and masters, does it all himself. Mm. But there's a song on his second album called Mike Check. And it starts with him like crumpling a piece of paper on one side of the microphone crumpling another piece of paper on the other side of the microphone. And if you have your headphones on, like, you can hear it moving around <laughs> mm. and he slowly builds a beat out of it. And it's like, he's like, like, like clicking his tongue, like, 
And he's doing that farther and farther away and coming back to it. And it's like, it's, it, to me, it's like headphone porn yeah. because I'm fascinated <laughs> by like, where is this going? And what I realize is like, I've started to really get into music that challenges me because it doesn't follow the intro verse, mm -hmm. chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. It's like, this guy is just making a piece of art until he decides it's done. Mm. And there's still hooks in there. There's still, there's a song called Smoke and the chorus is just the word smoke, but I sing the fuck out of that when I'm listening to it. Same. But like figuring out how he got there, he's looking at it from an entirely different history of music. He's looking at it from an entirely different culture and he's playing with the same tools that we can play with. And seeing somebody do something so completely different with the exact same shit that like I have access to mm -hmm. is amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the kind of shit I've, talked about it here before the viva chile that that record that i bought that's all 1960s mm. chilean surfer rock i love it it's amazing <laughs> and like some friends will come over and be like what the fuck is this and then some other friends will come over and be like this is amazing what is it i have to find it nice. and it's like that's what i want i want the challenge because then it feels like i'm actually learning something yeah because if it doesn't challenge me then all i'm doing is consuming it and consuming something versus learning about it mm. are two wildly different things mm. And sometimes I do like stuff just for consumption. That's yes. my, my pop shit, right? Yeah. But the stuff that actually pushes me, I don't just want to listen to it and walk away. I want to listen to it and think about it and ruminate. What was he thinking? What was she thinking? How did, mm. how did they get here? How did, you, how did you sit down and say, this is what I'm going to do today? Mm -hmm. And when, it, when I can't figure out what it is, it's like addicting to me. Yeah. Like I want more of it. I keep pulling at the thread. Sometimes something that's that challenging to you have to be in, in the mood to want to break it down. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, you know, I listen to like a lot of challenging music, even like math metal. Yeah. That's not background noise. You got to really like, yeah. you got to zero in. What is going on? Yeah. You have to be focused on what's happening. What's that? Tool? tool? Yes. Yeah. I do love Tool. I know that some people think that's weird these days. I guess people make fun of people who like Tool, but right, fucking I love dumb. Tool. I've been a Tool. Okay. Now, then people just think it's corny to like them because it's popular now. Yeah. So. I need to, I, I, I gotta listen. <laughs> I don't even know if I really know. Oof, okay. That band, they're amazing. Holy yeah. shit. They have a lot of ways. Yeah, listen, listen to Lateralis, like yeah, beginning okay. to end. It's, yeah, it, that'll it's fuck challenging, you but you can also have that on the background because it's so soothing. The tabla drumming and stuff, you yeah. can just kind of, tight. Just, you can just fade into that. for sure. Yeah, they're, their drummer, I'm Danny. I'm to take a bus trip, so I'm definitely. Yeah, dude, their drummer, Danny Carey. Danny like, Carey, that, that's a dude. My favorite drummer of all time. There are times where he's doing shit where I'm like, I don't even know what you're doing. Uh, like, you know, like, I'll, I'll nod my head along with shit, and then there's times where he just loses me. Uh, <laughs> and it's not like I accidentally slipped to the ones and you threes. I'm like, yeah. I'm on the two and a half and the nine and the 14 Wait. and the one. Like, it's. it's and he's studious. <laughs> like, he learns yeah. ancient techniques, like yeah. tabla drumming and stuff. He's, he's not just like, I'm going to bang as hard and fast as I can. He's. He's trying to do some advanced stuff, Super which dope. I love. He's, yeah. a, he's a student, you he's know? A technician. Student and a master. Yes. Yeah, 10,000 days. Mm -hmm. 10,000 hours to practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, 10,000 10, hours to write 10,000 days, probably. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's how fucking long it's all it is. That's how long it took for that fucking album to come out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dope. Well, cheers, guys. Well, cheers. Boom. Cheers. Got it. All right, we're on topic number three. Oh, I like yeah. our I like okay. our devotion to making sure anybody Here's, else that's in the room. You know, also I has didn't a drink. know, I didn't know necessarily because I don't I don't know you. We're like strangers to one another. We're acquainting ourselves with one another 
presently, which is a cool side effect of this program. And I didn't know how this question would land, but I wanted to go with something like uh, sort of deep thinking. So my question to you is, do you believe the passage of time is relative or linear? Um, you know, I super, think, super I, easy question. <laughs> no, I think it's relative. I think, honestly, I'd be saying this to my girl all the time. I'd be like, time isn't real, you know, but, but You're it agreeing is. with Einstein, so that's a good start. Yeah, but I think <laughs> yeah, it is sure. because, right, because we're real. We matter. Mm -hmm. That's how, that's why I say it's relative. It's relative to to who we're dealing with and, 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 and what we're dealing with, right? And so <clears throat> um, is it linear in the sense that uh, racism is going to end? No. But it's relative in the, in, the, in the now for me because I'm trying to eradicate it from my life and in my lifetime and in my world, mm. meaning... I have work to do with how I perceive microisms coming my way. Yeah. I have work to do in how I actually interact with people who even are overtly racist. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily have to like, uh, fight that battle in that moment or have to like, feel like I have to teach you something in that moment. No. So it's relative in all of these moments in, 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 the, in the time and space in which I'm existing for me. Um, it's linear for me when it's like I need to, I, I, when I'm trying to be professional, let's say. Hey, I want to get here on time. I want to be here at 730. Oh, shit, it just started raining when I was going to walk. Fuck. Now I'm going to be a little late. Yeah. In actuality... Am I late? I'm not, I'm not probably not late, you know, um, but do I want to be professional? Yes. Yeah. Do I want to respect other people's um, relativity in terms of time, relevance in terms of time? Yeah, yeah I do. Uh, so it kind of works both ways, I guess, but mostly for me, it's like, no, it's not even real. We make our own time. We make time is money, right? Okay. But. That's only because you spend, you, you're so obsessed with either money or you're so obsessed with what you're doing to make the money. Like, yep. I love making music. So I'm going to spend a lot of time making music. Do I think mm -hmm. the end goal for me is, is the money part? No. But I'm going to spend the time to get better at my music. And I know I spent time because I could track and be like, damn, I've been doing this for 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. or I've been mm -hmm. doing this, whatever it is. Yeah. I know that I spent the time to get better, to really get good at what I'm, quote unquote, getting paid to do or what I'm supposed to be, like, whatever it is. I'm just spending the time, right? Spending. We already... How do you, it's already connected to money. I'm yeah, spending time. We're already monetizing. It's not it. even yeah. real. Yeah. So it, they can't it be real. Resource, yeah. Money isn't real. Yeah. The value of money is what we, the importance we place on it. Correct. Right. Like it doesn't mean anything if, you know, I could have even, I could have a million dollars, but if, if someone just is looking for a motherfucking someone to listen to him, you know, that, that shit don't mean nothing, mm -hmm. you know, um, or, or how many times do we see people out in the world who look like they ain't got shit and they fucking all 
all of a sudden are undercover bossing our ass and <laughs> 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 buying a fucking buying me a new car, paying for my tuition. Yeah. You know, so it's like all of that shit is relative, really. You know, it's like we we place importance on things that aren't even real a lot of times, and we need to be grounded in the things that are real, which is how we treat people, um, how we help people, um, how we teach people, you know, how we accept people, how we humble ourselves. Those things are real. I know that for mm-hmm. sure. You know, I could be an asshole in real life, <laughs> in real time. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I, I think that we put a little bit too much importance on um, stuff that just isn't. It's just, that's where anxiety is created. Yeah. I've never really had anxiety, you know, but I think that's linked to time too. You know, oh shit, I'm about to be late to work. Or I'm like, you know, I'm going to get fired if I don't, you know, it's like, chill out. My grandma used to say, wherever you're going, it's going to get there or it's going to be there when you get there. But if you are rushing and you fucking crash it, you ain't going to get there. You and that shit going to still be there. <laughs> so chill out. Be cool. Even if you're 10 minutes late. Such a great grandmaism too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least show up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like time moves more quickly or more slowly while you're creating music? I don't or even. Do you think feel about like time. the passage of I don't time? Think about time. Okay, but like after the fact, if you have a recording session, do you feel like holy shit, where did the time go? Or do you feel like time slowed down while you're in your creative process? I straight up don't think about time. Yeah. Time is not a factor, and it will. It what it used to be, especially now. It used to be a factor when I would have mm. to pay for studio time. Sure. If I ever yeah. had to pay, but if I ever went to Josh's or if I ever went to Bob's when they were let, letting me come in, mm-hmm. you can ask them. Like, I'd ask them, like, how much time do you have? Yeah. Because they know I'm about to do six songs. I'm not going mm. in to do a song. I'm not going in. I'm about to go in and, and record an EP every time we go in. Sure. So for me, I don't think about it. If, like, when I was at EV, when I was in Chicago, when I was in the midst of, like, really doing my career, like, starting it out, they, the, the studio was like, come. I slept on the couch. When the engineer left, I'd be like, turn on the beat. Just put it on a loop <laughs> so I can sit here and still write. And then pull up the next, like, have the beats right in a row so I can just, like, click on the next one. Click on the next one. Yep. Because it, time, what's time? I, like, the only time I'm thinking about is this, like, do I have enough time, like, to finish this? Do I, or, like, mm-hmm. am I, you know, I'm not think, I'm just not thinking about time like that. I'm so not. that would be your preference with your creative processes to not even have to be beholden to the structure of time. You just yep. want to I don't, do, I don't, you want to do your thing and not even observe it. Most of the time, when I, especially now, when I'm recording or creating, so I, I recorded a song this morning, or yesterday morning, at like four o'clock in the morning. My girl was asleep, you know. I couldn't sleep. It was muggy. I get up. My guy just sent me a beat. Put the beat on, and it, I started writing. It, I remember this because it was just like two mornings ago at four forty-nine, when I started writing because I was rolling up and I'm letting the beat play and I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening. And finally, it all starts coming to me. Now, when I got done with the song, it was it was like six forty six. And now, what I've been doing—it's funny that you even asked this question. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've been like marking like the date and the time in which I wrote these things because okay. now I'm thinking I'm I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about 
when I'm gone, actually. Yeah. When people are now discovering the writing, the notebooks and shit. Oh, shit. He wrote this on this day. He did this this day. Or it's he, a wild thought, man. So that's what I'm thinking about. And that's the only time yeah. I really think about time. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, otherwise. I'm, while you're doing it, you're interstellar. You're in the ship. I am, you're yep, doing, I'm, yeah. Man, <laughs> if I'm thinking about time, I'd be so fucked up. I've, uh, this goes back to another. I, I've never had writer's block. That's what a, the fuck is writer's block? It's a great skill. Yeah. No, straight up. I, the uh, I got a song on the latest album called Break. The very first line is, this shit is in you or it's not. There ain't no searching for words. Y'all rappers on my writer's block, so now y'all all getting curbed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never had writer's block because it's coming from in me. This shit is coming from inside of somewhere. This shit is, again, like I said, I'm dealing with shit from my father that was, that was done to me before I was born. These songs were written before I even before I even spoke shit. Before I ever recorded anything, this shit's been recorded. This shit's been written. This shit's been bestowed upon me. I'm just the instrument, and I feel super blessed and super lucky. And I swear to God, I don't mean to sound corny or nothing. Like I feel super blessed to be able to tap into this shit every single time. Every single time I need to do it, it happens. When we had uh, Chef Ye Vang on here, he talked about being a conduit. Straight for, up. For, yeah. for his people, for his love, for his Ancestors, parents, my parents, for everything. Family. All, of, all of it comes out through him. Yep. I'm writing for Pac. I'm writing for my grandma. I'm writing for Uncle Keith. Yeah. I'm writing for George Floyd. I'm writing for Ahmaud Aubrey. I'm writing for my unborn seeds. I'm writing for kids that ain't got nothing to do with me, who ain't never even met me. But, but especially the people that came before me. Like, these are... They're, they're, this ain't, this ain't nothing that ain't got, none of this has to do with me, actually. None of it has to do with me. It has to do with everybody else. Because that's what this shit is about. If it was about me, I would be about getting money. I would be about, I I promise you, shit, I want the best of everything. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be, but you know what? It ain't about me. I knew that at a very young age. I knew that from my family structure. You better get over this shit, Chad. This ain't about you. I used to feel like an only kid. Nigga, I got six brothers and sisters, seven brothers and sisters. How can you feel like an only kid? And it was only because I had been taken from them and I had been, you know, isolated from them. Mm. You can still be lonely in a crowded room. But I'm still, exactly. But I'm still the oldest and I'm still the one who learned these things from my mother. I'm still the one who learned these things from my grandmother. And now I got to put this out, disseminate this amongst my siblings, and then do my part to empower them to want to do the same for their loved ones and do the same for the people around in their world. Yeah. Right? And so, I don't know. Those are, like, that's the shit I'm thinking about. I ain't thinking about no goddamn time. Fuck time. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. I 100%. Like, if you ask my mother, if you ask my wife, if you ask any of my professors, like, that... I would prefer not to be attached to time ever. And th- th- I mean, this is like a, a loose theory that I've been working on, but time changes the minute that you leave planet earth. So all of our ways of measuring time, it's all built around our own arrogance. It's built around our, our us as the center is where it all starts. And the minute you get away from that, the minute that everything changes, depending on where you are, if Einstein's theories are, are to be believed, which for me, it does work. 
that time changes when if you if we ever get to other planets even our experience of time when we come back to earth would be wildly different than what people experienced here so how can it not be relative because as soon as you leave what's relative to us it changes so to me it has to be and the closest that i can get to that obviously not an astronaut the closest that i can get to that is when i create shit it's when i start writing or when, I, when, when we had our production studio, when we were making original music, and even going back to when I was in a band, time stopped for me. It, the only reason that I stopped doing anything was because somebody else had yeah. something that they needed me All to day. do. And I, like, I can't tell you how many times I would go outside after being in the studio, and it would be dark, and I'm like, how the fuck All long were we in there? Because if you had asked me, I would have said like an hour or two. Yep. And it turns out it was seven, or seven and a half. And I know how frustrating that can be for other people, but that's, again, our relationship relative to each other. But the minute that we leave what we know, everything starts to change. So to me, it, it has to be. Mm-hmm. But that's, I guess that's just me. Charles, where, where do you sit on that? Yeah, I don't, like, panic about the passage of time. I'm not worried about, you know, where have my 40 years gone. The way that I view the passage of time is that it's relative. I look at it as... We, we flow through time, time doesn't flow through us. Mm-hmm. My philosophy is that when you vary your experiences as a human, that you are able to slow down the passage of time. What I mean by that is, um, and I was just recanting this recently to somebody, if you work your day job five days a week and you go home and you have one of three meals, you Netflix, you fall asleep on the couch, you wake up, you have your cup of coffee, you take a shower, you go back to work, and you repeat that, mm-hmm. your, your days, weeks, months, years will pass by in rapid fashion. Like what a time my, lapse. What my, yeah, what my philosophy is is that I am able to slow down the passage of time by varying experiences and doing things that make it so that every day I'm learning something new, I'm experiencing something new, I'm putting things on the docket to like um, educate myself to learn something I didn't already know to, um, to, to be a productive human being in ways that are non-professional, those things make it so that time passes more slowly. Another way to look at this is, like, you ever have a cabin weekend with your friends and you go to the cabin on, or like on a vacation or something, you leave on a Friday and you come back on a Sunday. Those 60 hours can often feel like they lasted for a very, Mm. very, very long time, right? That having that experience slows down the notion of time. You're flowing through time. Time's not flowing through you. And another way to look at it is remember summers when you were a kid, how summer felt like an eternity? Oh, yeah. And I think that was because of all the things you were experiencing for the very first time, right? Catching frogs hitting balls in the street, riding your bike all around the neighborhood, okay. fucking, uh, you know, playing football. Days are longer. Meeting, and making new friends, yeah. talking to girls, going yeah. to the arcade, getting uh, Italian ice, going to the gas station and getting some Big Lee Chew. Yeah. Like, your one day would feel like an eternity yeah. when you were 10 years old. Now sometimes, because we're so habitual and we stop varying experiences, your days are like this. They're just gone in an instant and also people sometimes rush themselves to get through like living for the weekend right Mm -hmm. 
like working for the weekend when you're like, go, 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 go. And you burn your five days because you're like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I want to be there. So you're only experiencing two of those seven days in reality because you're just trying to get to the part that you like the most. But you can do some shit on Tuesday night, okay? Like, uh, what, what do they call it? Sunday scaries? Is yeah, the Sunday right? scaries. Like, yeah. I know it's easier said than done, but making better use of this free day, if you're a 9 to 5 or Monday through Friday, making better use of that time and not just dreading the fact that it's going to be over soon, just thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I can't believe this shit's going to be over before I know it. And you're looking at the clock and you're counting all the hours until you're no longer going to have the free time that you are currently experiencing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the way that I look at it. That's my personal inference of the way the time passes and, and my efforting to slow it down and like experience more things. And via that, I feel like I'm making my life feel longer because I'm slowing down the passage or at least like the perception of the passage of time. Sure. Fuck. Fuck yeah. you time. Yeah, fuck you time. Yeah. <laughs> Because fuck time. <laughs> I like having a good time. That's right. That's why we're choosing yep. to slowing down time. To slowing down time, man. Cheers, Instagram. Well, who's up? I am. Uh, I was going back and forth between two questions, and after our discussion before we started uh, about Tupac, mm. I, 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 I just got to ask this. It's really... It's amazing to be all right. So I'm 42, and you have to be somewhere around my age, 43. right? 43, okay, yeah. and Charles is 40. We are basically almost the same age as hip-hop as we know it, right? So someone. It's, yeah. the, it's, the only, it's the only art that has grown up with me at the same exact time. I grew up with, it's funny that you brought up house music. I grew up, I'm from the south side, I grew up with rap music and house music. Yep. Those are the two genres. I guess R&B, 80s R&B. Mm -hmm. But Those like, three. but mm. R&B was going through an evolution at that time, you 100%. know, because like the soul singers yep. had morphed into rhythm yep. and blues and then that was the whole thing. So for me, there is, a, there is a complete new branch that grows when, when hip hop comes out and it just happens to be similar to the same age as me. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just wanted to ask you, I, like, I had no idea about your other musical interests, and that's another discussion that we just have to have whenever we hang out. But I wanted to ask you, like, when, do you, do you, when do you remember falling in love with hip-hop as an art? Distinctly, because I grew up with it. I remember... So this is, this is where my male influence comes in. My cousin, my mom, my mother... I love you, mommy, by the way. Um, my mother, her godmother, um, which I called my grandmother Gladys. Um, my surrogate grandmother, Grandma Gladys. Yep. My next door neighbor. Tight. Rest in peace, Grandma. I love Same. you so much. That's awesome. I love that. Um, they owned an uh, apartment building on the south side of Chicago on 67 in Stony Island, 67 in East End. When I say there's no east side in Chicago, they're wrong. That's the east side, the east end. Sure. Um, because you always hear west side, south side, north side. There's an east side, too. Mm -hmm. There's an east side of Chicago. So the east end of Chicago, we grew up there. And um, Grandma Gladys, um, her daughter, my Aunt Belinda, had a son, um, my cousin Greg. 
so my cousin Greg, he was probably, this is like 1985, 1986. We, so my, I'm kind of bouncing, but follow me here. My mom picked all of her kids up. She was pregnant with my little sister. So my mom had, like I said, six kids out of her body. Those are my five, like, half-blood siblings. I got two half-siblings from my father. Sure. Right? But for my mom, she picked her five kids up. She was pregnant with her sixth kid and moved us to California in 1986. Oh. I turned eight in 1987 in, in, in North Oakland, California, okay, which is a whole another crazy different story. But so about 85, 84, 85, 86, we were living with Gladys and Belinda and my cousin Greg. And he would always play house music or rap music as he went to sleep and Damn. I slept in his room like I made a little pallet on his floor and that's where I slept when we stayed with them and so I distinctly remember <laughs> him playing Freaky Tales uh, <laughs> it takes a nation to hold us back yeah Boogie Down Productions. I, I just, I remember Rock Him, right? I remember these. And then he would also play Pink House, which is a legendary uh, DJ from Chicago. Yeah. And he would play uh, Julian Jumpin' Perez and all these different house DJs and Felix the House Cat. He would, be, he would be playing all of these different artists. And it just blew my mind. And, and I loved it. And I remember, so the very first rap I remember was children's story. I was nine years old. I was in my first foster home, and my foster brother um, slash stepbrother, Maurice, he um, he would get Word Up magazine in the mail. He was three years older than me, so he was 12. So he, and then at the same time, WGCI, which was one of the major radio stations in Chicago to this day, but back in the day, all WGCI played was R&B. All they played was R&B, but on Saturday nights, Pink House, he had, um, it was called the B-Side, and he would do like an hour of rap music on the B-Side. One hour. Yep. One hour of rap music, and he'd play NWA, and he'd play everything, Slick Rick, everything, right? So mm -hmm. I remember hearing um, Children's Story, <laughs> and he goes, me and you, Tab, are going to make some cash, Robin, all day. My little nine-year-old ears heard me and you, Chad, we're going to make some cash. <laughs> <laughs> Robin O'Fultz is making the dash. Right? I hear you, Rick. I'm coming. <laughs> They'll never see so, it. I'm a little kid. I'll get my hand in the purse. I'm, I'm walking around the house singing this, and Maurice is like, that's not what he said, you <laughs> idiot. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> So he gets so we get the we get the 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 word up magazine and they used to do what they call verse of the month. In oh, yeah. one month, it's children's story because it's one long yeah. verse. It's, there's no chorus. That's a story. <laughs> and I literally, my little nine year old self was like, I'm learning this. And I was very disappointed to learn he said Tad. I'm like, what the hell is Tad? God. But fine, you're right, Maurice. But I literally learned that. And then performed it at my ne uh, at like the next talent show, or whatever. <laughs> and I, you know, just little nine year old me. And I literally know every word. I don't listen to children's story now, but if yeah. I hear that now, I know every word from little nine year old me. 
And ever since then, you know, I remember <laughs> I did uh, MC Light's part for uh, uh, self-destruction. You're headed for self-destruction. Yeah. I learned MC Light's part because I thought she was the dopest at the time. She's yeah. still the dopest. She's still the goat. You know what I'm Come saying? On. So, like, yeah, I, you know, I've been in love with rap music ever since I can remember. I don't remember. I don't. I, I didn't look. <laughs> Okay, first of all, I didn't have any one-on-one -on -one interactions with white kids or white people until I was 11. Mm. Um, I didn't know about alternative music until I was like 13. Okay. Yeah. When I moved to Evanston, I moved to this group home called Boys Hope. And then I started going to school with white kids. You know, that's when I learned about Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam, and which I love them yep. shits now. That's my shit. Mm -hmm. But, like, I didn't know nothing about none of that yeah. shit. You know, I, I didn't know nothing about Underground, G. Mm -hmm. I didn't, like, Tupac, Tupac has a song called Rebel, Rebel of the Underground. Rebel. That's what I thought. I thought he was underground. That, and he technically was at yeah. that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. he, he, you know, he was not Tupac at that time, you know. So, you know, and he was in a group called Digital Underground. Yep. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Same song, man. Come on. These are mm. the things that I, that's what I thought was underground. So I didn't know about hi, uh, uh, hieroglyphics. I didn't know about, you know, I knew about Dell because Dell was on a radio. Mm -hmm. Bob Dabalina was on a damn radio. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I didn't know about certain things. I only knew what what was exposed in my little world. But then, and that's the beauty about, like, traveling and, like, actually, you know, there's people in Chicago who've never been off their block. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's people here, you know, who, who right. haven't been outside of their neighborhood. Yes. And that's the beauty and importance of, like, going out and experiencing things and like mm -hmm. you know I, I think about it all the time I'm like damn man I wish I would have went to public school I wish I would have stayed on the south side of Chicago it's like no I don't I'm glad I went out and experienced things I'm glad that I actually had a, had an opportunity to like be exposed to these different um, socioeconomic situations yeah. in which I can like be like ooh I don't like this or I want to be. I want to better myself and, and 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 provide stuff like this for myself, you know. Um, and, and even musically, be yeah, like, damn. I straight up. I straight up like how I think about music right now, as a forty three year old rap artist. I'm like, I want my music to have an impact, and not necessarily physically sound like, but have the feel of classic rock. Yeah. And have the feel of classic soul music. You can hear that listen, in your when music, we listen to man. Donny Hathaway, when we listen yes. to The Doors. That's what I want mm. my music to feel like. So I'm super, you know, and those are my my favorite artists of all time are Jim Morrison, Tupac, Al Green, and Redman. Love it. <laughs> those are my favorite artists. You and I are just supposed time. to be friends. And That's, William Blake. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 fucking and and uh Gwendolyn Brooks. You know what I mean? Like these these are these are like the people who I as a little kid I remember literally like we had a um in Boys Hope in the group home you had to have you had to take a math class or you had to take uh an English class, like a language arts class. And I wanted to take the, the language arts class because I was better at reading. I was better and, and but I didn't know that she was gonna make me learn poetry from mm -hmm. um all these Carl Sandburg and all these different, like, I was like, what? Why am I doing this? 
But I'm so grateful and so happy that that's what was ex- yeah. exposed to me and brought to my life. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, man, like rap music has, has literally been a part of my life. I literally was talking about that the other day. Someone was like, oh, so you're like the same age as hip hop. I'm like, yup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. No other music. That is my, that's my dad. You know, literally my mom is Andrea Johnson. My dad is hip hop. Yeah. My dad's Tupac. <laughs> You know, and I know that's what the kids be saying, mm. but like straight up, that's who I consider my dad. I know Willie Jeffries jizzed in my mom, but like, no, Tupac <laughs> jizzed in my head. There it is. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's an t- isolatable quote. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, Holy shit. Uh, Charles? I, uh, I was exposed to rap from i mean all the music i was exposed to when i was a young man and i couldn't necessarily afford to just like buy music and have the music on hand that i wanted to explore more and we couldn't obviously we didn't have the freedom other than the radio to listen to the stuff that we wanted to listen to and the radio wasn't always playing the kind of music we're talking about right now i remember the first time that i got like slapped by rap music was um my air quotes, cousin, just this Lebanese kid who worked at the corner store uh, that we used to hang out with because his family were family friends of ours. I remember we were, it was the middle of winter and there was a ton of snow. I don't remember what car he drove, but we were whipping shitties in a bank parking lot and he was playing doggy style. Mm. And I remember just having my mind blown by what I was hearing and also what was happening. Like everything felt dangerous in that moment. But that was still prior to my own like discovery of rap music and for me when I finally locked in and it moved me and had an effect on my life it was when I acquired this was not the first rap CD I got it was probably literally the second but it was the above the rim soundtrack yes bangers Bangers. I was obsessed I would have my little no I had yeah I, I don't remember if it was a I had the tape or whatever, but I had my cassette player or my Walkman. I don't remember which it was, but I would be playing that while I would be doing shoot around. And I just remember how much I felt that as oh, yeah. I was hooping, right? It made yep. me, it like uh, motivated me in a way that the, that the music that was more what I had access to at that time did just for some reason in that context, in that arena, that music made me feel more uh, connected to my capabilities. So when I'd be doing shoot around, I'd be listening to rough and stuff with my Afro pops yeah. or, you know, uh, I believe wasn't do- the song doggy style on that soundtrack. I want to, s- I, I want to say yes, but I don't know. was on there. Yeah. Regulators it was actually was on like there. a incredibly varied. Yeah. Um, SWV was on there. Yeah, Anything by SWV yeah, and pour out a little liquor by Tupac cool. Shakur still bang. Yes. Those tracks still yeah, yeah, yeah. bang. I, I could, probably reference the track list right now. I don't remember everything that was on. It's funny that Rough and Stuff still is like the song that I will think of first uh, because just like that that chorus and everything. Rage, rock on with your bad self. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. So like yeah. that that soundtrack I would listen to beginning and and I think also that was one of the first albums that made me uh, an album person. Sure. Because I love the composition of it, the like beginning to end so composition good. of that soundtrack, I thought was so fucking great. Between that and Master of Puppets, that was like me exploring what it's like to compose an album and to appreciate 
It's the whole it's thing. entirety. The story that it right. tells. And I was yeah. like, thir- I was 13 when they came out. That was like 94. And then from there, you know, E1999 and stuff like that. And then just suddenly the levy broke and I started to explore everything, including things that came out prior. Then I finally got my own copy of Doggy Style and shit mm. like that. But that's, uh, that was, that'd be the first one that like really uh, awoke me to the, the qualities of that music and what I love about it to this day. Mm. So I, I was really lucky to have grown up both in a multicultural family and also in a pretty multicultural neighborhood. You're so adopted? I, uh, no, I grew, up in, uh, I grew up in South Minneapolis and three of my cousins were adopted, one of whom uh, we were the same age. Dope. So we were best friends like from ch- as far back as I can remember. Uh, and we loved telling people that we were either like brothers or cousins and they just stare at us. Because <laughs> uh, like I was pasty, pasty white and yeah. he was jet black. He was like Akon <laughs> black. And like we, again, between that and my group of friends growing up in the neighborhood, because I was a latchkey kid, uh, like there, that just wasn't like racial differences weren't a thing when I was a kid. Plenty of other differences, like if you were good at basketball or not, or okay. if you if you knew anything about like your sports team or what. Mm-hmm. Those were all the divisions. That if honestly, if you were poor or not, like that was way more of a dividing line than anything. And so everybody would just show up to to latchkey after school, and we, at the time it was tapes. Like, and we would all just trade tapes. Like, what are you listening to? What are you into? And I remember the first tape, hip hop tape I ever had was Easy E, Easy Does It. And the mm. second one was uh, BC Boys License to Ill. And both of those were like, it was fun for me because it was like naughty. You know, like <laughs> it, they were saying words that we weren't supposed to say. That's why were, I love Freaky Tales. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like, As a little uh, kid too. Like, like mm-hmm. your, your Freaky Tales was my nobody move. Yeah. Like uh, the weirdest bank robbery yep. with a, a rape in the middle of it. <laughs> like there's so much shit going on. And like I was yeah. literally like nine or ten years old. like the shit I was hearing on Doggy Style, like the interludes. And yeah. Stuff. I was mm. like, can they say this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was like, it, was, it, I, it felt to me the same way, Charles, I told you this story, that my babysitter, Ben Olson, shout out to Ben Olson, had given me Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. And I knew that my mother would react to both of those the same way. So it was like fun for me to have this shit. And then after Easy Does It, then I got straight out of Compton. And then there's like a story that's going on right now. And I'm trying to figure out, like I was absolutely drawn to Ice Cube from the minute I heard his voice. And then he broke off and then he started putting out solo stuff. But for me, it was still, I didn't know this at the time. I didn't even understand this concept. But I think all of those, it was still voyeuristic. It was people way older than me in situations that aren't familiar to me mm. saying things that I'm not allowed to say. Right. So it was cool because it was telling me to push the boundaries and it was reminding me that there is a world out there that I have no fucking idea about. Right. And I like the perspective that I got from that. And I like the we fact believed, we believed all of it too. Yeah, yeah, you it was. Know? Yeah, there's I mean, no. Most of it was actually. There's real. no hyperbole. Like most of it was real too. Yep. Everything. Everything was perceptibly real. Yep. Wrestling was real. Yeah, Music everything was real. Was real. Yep. Like all that stuff, you you believed mm-hmm. every word of it, which is the type of mystery that doesn't exist anymore. Yep. Which is unfortunate, and I think it's also changed the way that the art is produced. 
yep. at the time. You believed every word they said. Yep. You were like, this shit is actually happening. And you felt like it was happening while you're listening. To yep, it. yep, literally. You know I mean? <laughs> like, I, like, this is happening right now. This yeah. should be on the news. Why isn't this on the news? <laughs> but I remember, um, so, you know, as tapes started turning to CDs and everybody's exchanging shit, the record that took my breath away, that still to this day, I will listen to front to back mm. gleefully. And it's got to be in the... Chronic? No, it was Midnight Marauders. Oh, that's Tribe my Club favorite West. album of all time. So my friend Tribe bought is it. my favorite group of all time. So, all right, so again, reasons yep. we were meant to be friends. Yep. Uh, my friend Nathaniel bought it, and he came home, and I was so excited to hear it. I remember it. my first time I heard it. Go, I'm going to yeah. tell you after. Yeah, yeah. Go. So I was so excited, and I went over there, and he's like, he literally said, this shit is soft. This is a dude who is 13, a 13-year-old kid in South Minneapolis was like, blah, and he just gave it to me. Like, he literally was like, I don't even want it. Okay. And I put it on, and I left planet Earth. <laughs> I left everything behind. And that changed. Like, I literally have goosebumps right now yeah. even saying it. It changed how I listened to music. Because it wasn't grandeur. I wasn't listening to it because it was naughty. It wasn't, like, it wasn't a trip into a world that I couldn't possibly comprehend. It was a trip back into the music. And that changed how I saw everything. And that, like, everything after that, that's, like, one of those moments that you, there's before Midnight Marauders and there's after Midnight Marauders. And yeah. I've come around to love low-end theory just as much or Real people's, people's instinctive Real moments. Talk. But yes. Midnight Marauders was my gateway drug. That was, that was it. And yep. then from there on, it divided in half for me where there was the braggadocious as, as Tupac got out of jail mm -hmm. and went on his tear mm -hmm. and Snoop Dogg and Dre was running the world. It was really fun to like cosplay with that where everything was just like 50 to 100 women at every party in bikinis and 40s everywhere. But like that, that wasn't like a lifestyle that no. I thought you could even, even... No. No. Same with me. But A Tribe Called Quest was saying music can be this and this can be what a story is. And it, it, like, to this day, I still listen to that record, and I marvel at the fact that Tip and Ali were sitting there in his house just cutting up samples manually and making that happen. Because I loved that album, that allowed me to understand how brilliant Paul's Boutique was mm -hmm. five, six years mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. it came out, and then I fall in love with that. And then it just starts going, and, uh, uh, you know, going deeper into the, like that led later on to like Dr. Octagon and MF Doom and mm. all of this other shit that like it challenged me before I knew that I needed that challenge. And it also gave me a link to uh, my dad was a, a big jazz. jazz fan. Yes. And it was a, it was the bridge yep. where I felt like I could understand a little bit of his world. Somebody that I saw for a couple hours once a week. I could understand a little bit of his world, but it was through my lens. It was through my music. It wasn't me having to go to him. Yep. It was his shit coming to me. And in my opinion, it was being made better. And I think it makes it easier for him to, uh, like his generation, someone from his generation to understand our generation of music because it is literally, I think it, it's not that it's not, that it's necessarily making it better, but it's updating it. Yep. It's updating and it's putting a fresh new take on what they knew on, on Dave Brubeck. But it's like, 
but he's adding these sick ass drums to it. And it's this, there's this, uh, now he added this, this whole, this uh, Thelonious Monk fucking thing yeah. or whatever, whoever he's yeah. sampling, like straight the fuck up, like making it so that everyone, everyone, even like, you should already be hooked if you're from the jazz era. Yep. Then now I'm about to bring you, I'm bringing you to our world. So they were all connected. Yep. Tribe to me is the best balance of what all like what what is the best balance of when they say music is a universal language. Yep. They just made the they made like they made the happy balance between because look classic example of a date rape. They're talking about like oh I'm I'm I have this mentality but I'm not gonna go there but I actually am thinking about this shit. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, damn, should I take this from this woman? But mm-hmm. you know what? That's not the type of person I am. So you know what? I, when you're done with your period, I'll be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever the fuck it is. It's like, it, it's still, they're saying naughty things, yeah. but for some reason it's very, like, palatable and it's very easy to I think digest. It, it, it's because it wasn't, it, makes it, it wasn't bragging or boasting. It nope. was literally, it, it was a, a slice of the human experience. Yep. You know, and then after, after that, like I said, there's there was a ton of like fun party ass shit that I loved, and that was that's what made me become a DJ. But after Tribe, then the next moment that I really remember was the first time that I heard Pete Rock and CL Smooth reminisce over you. I heard that sax loop start, and I didn't move. And this is like such a dumb thing, but I I do this every now and then, where it came on, and I I literally didn't want to move. Because if I moved, I felt like maybe it's gonna turn off. It, it would just turn off or it would go away. <laughs> and I was doing the thing where I stared at the middle of the I've stereo, even though that's not where the sound is coming from. Okay. And the stereo can't see me. Pete Rock and CL Smooth are not looking through the yeah, little window. Why are you staring? Why are you lo- I've done that. But I've that was that. all I could do. And I just froze. And I was like, what? wait, what? Like, this is, what? You can, do, you can do this? And it, like, it moved me and also, like, challenged, like, that song still fucks me up. If I hear that at the right time, I will have to wipe my eyes. And I don't have, like, it's not connected to a, a certain person. Yeah. It's the beauty of that Music. synergy of all of that, of taking what was 40 years ago and what could be 40 years from now and making something that is that timeless blows me away. And that was, that was when I really understood how amazing this art form is in its adolescence. Mm. You know, like, I don't think that I am a mature, finished product. So how the fuck could a full <laughs> art form be? Yeah. Like, we, we get another, if we're lucky, 40 or 50 years of watching where it goes. Yeah. And I love, I love saying mm. that I've been able to track it for most of my life. Mm, I love you, hip-hop, so much. I, uh, I love you so much. <laughs> Well, fucking cheers to that. Oh, yeah. shit, Charles, you're low. But now, honestly, I really want, as you pour that into your glass, I really want to dub in a little chunk of that intro of Pour Out a Little Liquor by Tupac from Above the Rim. I'll take it. That's my jam. Oh, man. Oh, we got a candid question Ooh, coming in. Does this happen ever? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Swing that mic do you mind, do you mind just here hear bending a little low but coming in here? All right, well, get, I don't, don't want to interrupt the podcast, but <laughs> I, um, I was wondering if uh, my uh, 
special lady friend could just stop by and say yeah. hello after the podcast yeah. is finished. Yeah. Because I want to talk to you guys. You guys are doing fantastic. Beauty. Job. All right. No. We're, yeah. Yeah. No. After the party, it's the after party, and after that party, it's the hotel lobby. <laughs> All right, uh, long shot. What is something you've experienced that you wish you could experience again for the first time? First time performing. Oh, yeah, that's such a good answer. It's it's <laughs> damn it. It's so easy because um, I remember this like it was yesterday. Yeah, I was. 20 years old. It was November 1999 in the 1999. Um, and I, at this point, so here's how my rap career started. So I told you how I love rap music and how I used to memorize all these raps of different people. And, you know, when I went to high school, you know how it is like you, you, you get on the bus or you're in the cafeteria and, and the cypher breaks out. Yeah. Okay, and I always want, I, I was always freestyling in my head. I was always saying little bars and little things, but I was like, that shit is whack. If you ever say that shit out loud, you are going to get clowned. Don't you ever do that shit. I will, I will, I will kick your ass. <laughs> right. And so I never did. And then this is really wild. So I go to college. I went to um, Drake University, play football at Drake. And my freshman year, like, we had a, what they call the blue and white game, which is like, you know, like the little scrimmage right before the season starts, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, you know, they split up the team and you scrimmage. The it's team. like Finish full squad. offense versus full yeah, defense. Yeah, like if you go to another game, they have a blue and gold game. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? They split up the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Full offense versus full defense. Yeah, yeah. Can, I'm just, can I, before you go any further, can I just ask, did you, did you also go to Drake because of their, like, creative writing department? I went to Drake because they uh, they came to my house. They were the only school to come to my house during the recruiting process oh, to shit. sit down and have dinner with me and my grandmother. I just feel like with nice. with your ability to turn words and their talent in the the writing department, like that that seems like such a perfect match. They like so. Coach Plusso is his name. I'll never forget him. Coach Plusso came to my house and he told my grandmother. He was like, uh. Because I had gotten scholarship offers from, like, D2 schools. I was a wide receiver. I was All-State my senior year. I was, I was a stud. I was doing it. And I had gotten these scholarships from, like, I got a scholarship offer from, like, Southwest Missouri State and shit like that. Like, these weird schools, D2 schools. And in my head, I'd wanted to go D1 because that's, like, what you do. Yep. But I actually didn't know what any of this was about. I didn't have, like, again, I didn't have a dad or somebody that was guiding my recruiting process or anything. I was being recruited for baseball and football. So I just didn't know. I was just going on visits because they were paying for them. And I was just like, yep, you want me to come to your school? I'll go there. But they were the only school to come to me. And Coach Plusso actually was like, there's an amazing uh, broadcast journalism program and we're one of the best he you know drake is drake is considered the harvard of the midwest yeah absolutely and so um and at the time in i graduated in 1997 they were the first school i know in the midwest at least for sure but i think they were one of the first universities to offer 
a um, like a, a, a computer with internet access in every dorm room on campus. So he was mm. like just pumping all these things. And we're going to, we can't give you an outright scholarship, but we're going to give you so much money. And with Boys Hope, you know, like you, you'll, you won't have to pay for nothing. And I didn't, I didn't pay for anything. And I went to school and <clears throat> when I got there, um, I tore my kidney. Oh, whoa. In the blue and white game. Oh. I dove, landed on the ball. Oh, fuck. It was like the first half. Holy Play shit. Play the second half. So we go into the locker room, and I'm pissing pure blood. They rush me to fuck. the emergency room. I have a six-inch laceration on my kidney. Freshman year is done. I, I rehab, I redshirt, yada, 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 right? But during the season now, I can't travel. I can't do anything. And all the black football players would get up in someone's room and smoke weed, 40s, and then they bust out into this cypher. Oh. <laughs> there it is. Now we're back into the cypher. Yes. And now I'm still being a little punk. But when it comes to me, now I'm rapping verses from Tribe Called Quest and Pac and shit. Because that's, cause they were like, if you either got to get out of the room, you got to rap something. That's, that was the rule. Because I was like, I ain't freestyling, I ain't rapping. They're like, you got to rap something. I don't care if it's, it's somebody else's rap. You got to rap something or get the fuck out. Because these are all upperclassmen. <laughs> I'm just a lowly freshman. So I rapped my little raps. But someone, one weekend, brings a white boy from Minnesota. He's coming to visit. Mm. And he's there. And he's at the cypher. And his turn comes up. This white boy is murdering everybody in the cypher. I'm talking about everybody who I thought was super dope in yeah. the cypher. This motherfucker is killing them to the yeah. point where nobody else is rapping now. Yeah. It's just this. Everyone's looking at white boy like, everyone's what you about to listening, say? Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. Now it's about nine o'clock at night. And everybody's like, let's go out to the bars. I'm like, I'll catch y'all later. <laughs> I go back to my room. And I put on number 17 from the Roots Illadelph Half Life. It's called like Let It Shine yep. or something. It's yes, something yes, yes. Uh, you got goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps thinking yeah. about this. I just, the whole night, I'm rapping to myself. My yep. roommate comes back at like three o'clock in the morning from out in the bars. I'm like, listen to this. Mm. <laughs> and I just start going in. Wow. He's like, what the fuck you been doing? Who are you? Yes, <laughs> straight up. Yeah. He gets kicked out <laughs> after the first semester. Ooh. Okay. Every day. I'm not joking. Every day, second semester, I'm calling him up, like, listen to this, what I just wrote. And I, I don't even have, like, bar structure now. I'm, I'm rapping him 68 bars. I'm rapping 100 bars. But I'm just on the phone with this monk, like, every night. Yeah. Like, yo, listen to this, bro. What, I don't know what's going on. Because... Um, when we graduated high school, one of the graduating gifts from my circle, my circle of best friends, Tom Cronin got us this. I'll never forget this. Tom Cronin got us all, it was like six of us, got us journals mm. like for our freshman year to journal. Our that turned into my first rhyme book. You know what I mean? And it just, I just went crazy from there. So that was in 98, right? I leave school. So I, I, I stay there that summer, rehab. Then I get into a horrible car accident and I, Hair, tendons and shit in my hands. God. And I had a cast on to start the next football season. Coaches are like, we're done with you. So that Christmas, I go back home. Uh -huh. 
This is now this. We're going into this. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is crazy how I remember all this. January 31st, 1999 is my birthday. That's the day the fucking Family Guy premiered. It's my 20th birthday. Okay. Um, I am home. My grandma's like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I, have no, I had no idea. I'm like coaching baseball at my high school, mm. working at UPS. I'm like delivering newspapers, um, still trying to go to community college, like, right? But at the, all this whole time, I'm still writing, still doing my thing. Fast forward to uh, November of that year of 99. Ten months later, there's this talent show. It's like a hair show and a talent show. That's what they do in Chicago. Yeah. Hair shows and talent shows in one thing. So half of the show is hairdressers like showing how they mm. whip up butters, and then the other show is how we whip up rhymes, right? So right. I get to this talent show. I'm the first person to sign up. I've never performed ever in my life. No okay. one has ever physically heard me rap. I like rapped for my like little brother or something, you know what I mean? Like, but no one's really ever heard me rap. Yeah. Speaking of, my little brother won the talent show that I entered. I didn't win. My little <laughs> brother, my 14-year-old brother won yeah. that shit, right? Anyway, because he's actually the best rapper I've ever seen. <laughs> he amazing. is. Yes, he's amazing. But anyway, I get up there and I do my thing, right? And I'd written this song off this Roots fucking instrumental and whatever. I like, don't even know about the song structure. I don't even know the song anyway, but I do it. And I, but I, I like do a good job, right? I'm like still me. I get off stage and this is how I knew it was real. Two things happen. I have never, ever in my life felt that, a, that rush of adrenaline ever in my life. Yo, I, uh, senior year, my junior and senior year, we won what they call the city championship in Chicago. Um, there's a state championship, obviously, in football. But for the Catholic League and the public league in football in Chicago, they have their own separate playoffs for teams that either don't make the playoffs because the public league in Chicago generally doesn't make the football playoffs yep. in Chicago. Um, everybody makes the basketball playoffs. But in football, you have to have a certain record to make the playoffs. Public schools just aren't that good at football, so they usually don't make it. So the private schools own. offer scholarships to all the good players. And yep, exactly. Yeah. So they had their own playoffs in the pub, Chicago Public League because it's so yeah. big, right? How many public high schools are there in Minneapolis, the city? Four, five. There's like fifty in Chicago, yeah. right? So they have their own playoffs, and then the the Catholic League that doesn't make the playoffs, or if you lose in like the first or second rounds, you also play in that playoffs, and then you meet. Catholic school and the public school meet at uh, Soldier Field where the Bears play, and you play for the city championship, mm. right? And we won it my junior year and my senior year. My senior year, I scored a touchdown in Soldier Field. Damn. That shit was amazing. Damn. Right? Yeah. Um, my senior year, I hit two home runs in a game. You know what I mean? Like, massive shots. Like, that's like adrenaline, bro. Yep. Like, you mm. know, dunking on a motherfucker, hitting a winning shot. Mm -hmm. Those are huge adrenaline rushes, which mm. I've done. All of those things combined didn't equate to what I felt when I stepped off that motherfucking makeshift stage at that Feel talent that. show. And I was like, literally, I said to myself, this is what I'm doing for the rest you of knew. my life. Yeah. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I had no, I, I had, 
dude, I had worked summers when I graduated uh, high school in 97. I had worked that summer and then the subsequent like winter and then the next summer. And then that winter, I was working at the Chicago Board of Trade. When I went to Drake, I was a finance major because I thought I was going to go work at the Board of Trade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I quit that because it was too much math. And I'm like, oh, I should go into broadcast journalism because everyone says I have a great voice and I can, uh, I, I speak so well. I didn't want to do that. That shit. Then you found it. Yeah. Hit me right here. And so then the next thing that happened, <laughs> like out of a fucking movie, this little short guy walks up to me and goes, hey, you're really good. You got a manager? <laughs> Here's my card. Yep. And that's what I'm like. Oh, this is real. There you go. This is real. Yeah. That was November of 99. January 15th of 2000, I moved to D.C. Um, I turned 21 January 31st, 2000. And the reason why I moved to D.C. was because my best friend from high school, he, was, he had just transferred from Northwestern to Georgetown. And, he was, and I was like, yo. And I rapped for him. And I was like, yo, I really want to rap. And he was like. Dog, what the fuck has happened? What's, what happened to you? <laughs> but if you're serious, you should come to you should come live with me because our other mutual friend at the time, who he was living with, his roommate, he's like he's going to study abroad and he's paid his whole semester of rent. So you can come live rent free. You'll be close to New York. You'll be close to Philly. Mm. And DC has a legit scene too. DC, I started out in DC on Spoken Hurt. There's a bunch of um, uh, uh, open. Uh, uh, Icon, the Mike King. There's yeah. a bunch of cats that are from D.C. that I yeah. subsequently met. And, like, you know, artists. And, like, now it's kind of crazy. Like, oh, shit, that's right. You were there. Um, but, yeah, I just hit the open mic scene. Hardcore. Hardcore. And just went in and, and literally changed my fucking life. Changed my life. Love it. And I would never do anything ever different other than that, ever. Like, and I wish I, could, I wish I could feel that again. And I get to a little bit because... Mm-hmm. You know, you know how they say like, if you don't get butterflies right before you're about to do something, but you know, if you don't get butterflies when you meet your girl at the door, if you don't get butterflies, like, how real is it for yeah. you? Do you care? How real is yep. it for you? Yep. You know, what are your stakes. And I literally do. I get butterflies when I'm fucking about to go on stage. I get butterflies when I'm about to like see my girl, or like when I'm like going to meet the kids and shit. Like, mm-hmm. they mean a lot to me. So it's like. Ooh, my stomach's squeezing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's my shit. Thank you, hip hop. Yeah. Uh, if it's a moment for me, uh, it's a little bit more. I. It's because it's tied to to some sadness. But um, for five years, we used to have a party in St. Paul, Minnesota, called Grand Old Day, and like they just shut down like a good portion of streets and all, any restaurant that had like a big parking lot would put up a stage. When did they shut down Grand Old Days? Uh, it was like 2017, I, I think. Because like, I feel like I was here for that. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. And Rondo Days got shut down too, right? Yep. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, uh, for five straight years, I was the, like, MC hype guy host for the stage at Dixie's. And uh, one year, I got to, the, the headliner was Idea and Abilities. Oh, and, rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, Mikey. And I, I, I wish I could say that Mikey and I were friends. We were acquaintances. He was always very nice to me, but I don't think that he could have picked me out if I wasn't okay. with other friends of mine. But, like, having watched him progress from a kid with, like, that, that weird fuzzy shaved head back in the battle rap <laughs> days 
to like winning Blaze Battle. Yeah. Like we watched, we were in, I was in college. Mm. We we ordered that shit on pay-per-view and we sat at oh. my friend's house and like lost our minds, like watching him just destroy that dude. Like I still, re- like his opening line Chicago, of his last verse. That first, was important for motherfuckers in Chicago. On the mic, yo, you straight bring the worst game. You couldn't be the one if KRS was your first name. <laughs> That's such a fucking, like he's, like the, he Ooh. wasn't coming back. That and it, The rest of that verse just goes. Mm. But like he was, he was a hero. Like he was, and then he made his first record and it was weird as fuck. And I loved it. I loved the, the fact. Heart? Yeah. Yes. Like the many faces of Oliver yes. Hart. I remember it was, that. It was like, the anti, it was, yeah, it was the anti like record label record, you know? Uh, and there, there are so many couplets in that, in that album that blew me away. Never been in a fight, got knocked up one time. Stupid motherfucker thought peace was a gang sign. Mm. Like he would just sneak these, uh, mm. how much do you pay? That song still makes me emotional. Oh, like God. that, it was incredible. And so he was this human that like I was kind of bashful around, but I would always say hey and like just try and exist in his world. And I we were always tangentially close, but we you know we never got to be homies. And I find out that I get to introduce these guys on stage, and something was up with one of Ability's tables, and he had, or his decks, and he had to try and figure out what was going on. So they were like, "Can you just buy us like two minutes?" So I walked out, and it was packed. There were probably three or 4,000 people there. Mm. And I was like, y'all ready? And everybody starts cheering, and I was like, no, no, no. Y'all are too <laughs> quiet. You're too quiet. I got to cut this crowd up. So this section, you're going to be E. Y'all in the middle are going to be and. You guys are going to be A. And we got 4,000 people just, E, and, A, E, and, A. And then they just started going with it and going with it and going with it. And we built it up. And by the time they walked out, like, the crowd just, they just lost their fucking mind. And I'm standing there on stage and realizing, like, I also have to figure out how, like, my big ass has to, like, hey, I'm not the performer here, actually. <laughs> Mikey around. is. And, he's, you know, he's, he was skinny and he was shorter and he had long hair at that time. So he kind of shuffles out. So I, like, jump out. And he just goes, hey, thanks. Yeah. And just quick one of those, boom. And that was the last time I saw him alive. Mm. And... There's so many other things that I wish I would have paid more attention to. There's some, like, I was so caught up in what Abilities was doing. I honestly didn't listen to Mikey for, like, five songs. Because he's fucking Abilities is... He's ridiculous. Jesus fucking Christ. But, yes, then Mikey is so... Where, where's the joint? Is it Star Destroyer where they go back? Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Ugh. That, that song murders me. But, like, I would, I would love to have... Knowing what I know now... That moment. I would love to have that moment back mm. and to say thank you back to him and then to just fucking sit my ass down and mm. pay attention and take it all in. Because I was trying to figure out what could I take from abilities. Mm. Like, I was up there selfish, just trying to see, like, what, what could I snipe? Mm. And like, thinking, thinking back on that. As a performer? That. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, like, what you're supposed to do, though. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But knowing now that yeah. that was the last time I was ever going to see yeah. that, I should have shut that part of my brain off Damn. and I should have just sat and taken it all in. Deep. And it's one of those things like I still think about to this day because I can't even remember their track list. And mm. that's like, I, I'm the guy that like makes the playlist while on my way home of all the songs in a row that I just heard so that I can listen to a concert again in that order. I do that shit all the time. And you couldn't do it that And time. I literally couldn't even remember what songs they played because I was too busy watching Ability's Hands, which again, amazing. And he's incredibly talented. But that's like, 
it's not a fuck up moment. I'm really proud of that moment. And I'm really proud that that was the one time that, that Mikey ever gave me a little bit of love. Yeah. You know, but like, I hate, I, I think about that so much. And it's one of the things that now kind of grounds me a little bit more where I try to be more present in moments where it's like, I don't need to figure out what everybody's gear is. Yeah. I don't need to figure out what mic you're using. I don't need to try and be my tall ass and like look over the soundboard and see what the settings are at. I just need to be in the moment and appreciate the art that I'm listening to because that's why the fuck I'm there. I told this someone that someone was like, I wish I had my phone now for this. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> your phone is your brain. How yeah. about that? Yeah, do that. Charles, what about you? I appreciate a lot of what's led up to this part of the conversation because, again, I feel like it's, it's sort of consistent with things we've been discussing and a lot of what, Longsha, you were, you were saying in terms of uh, gaining experiences that gave you different focus so you could understand different socioeconomic statuses and meeting new people and, like, your first experiences with white folks and stuff like that. Uh, for me, it's that experience because we're limited in how we can explore the universe because of just the, the rigors of travel where we can actually reach. And the first time I traveled to another country was when I went to Lebanon for the first time when I was 13. And the experience of traveling to another country, it was like the motherland where my parents are both from, where a lot of my extended family lives and where I now have a, a second home. Uh, but just the, it's not about where it was, it was experiencing and um, engrossing myself in another culture because that is formative, I, I would say in my opinion, but it's just, I feel like it's an objective fact. It's formative in anyone's life, engrossing yourself in another culture and understanding that people are people everywhere and that you know their, their way of life is unique to them, but they're like us in many ways. But that being able to be a earth planetary explorer and go somewhere for the first time yeah. that is entirely different from where you are. I went to the Middle East, you know, as the Mediterranean, landing in Lebanon, strange new world, 13 years old. I was probably listening to Metallica on the plane and <laughs> watching movies and shit. And the next thing you know, you're somewhere where nobody speaks English. And, you know, I remember like a bunch of movies were out that had come out like five years prior in, in the U.S. It's like we were, especially at that time, we're talking about like 1993 or 94 at the time. Our worlds were so much more independent of one another than they are now that we're technologically connected with other countries. It was like I was a, a, a foreigner in what should technically be Your my own, own land, you know what I mean? But experiencing all the things that that place had to offer for the very first time and engrossing myself in a language that I was raised to speak, but like learned to speak the right way it's because it's a whole different uncomfortability now. Right. Yeah. Like being held to that type of a standard and experiencing the cuisine and meeting all my cousins and stuff for the first time and meeting strangers for the first time and like walking down the street and seeing flashing my flashlight and see a scorpion, like go past my feet or flashing the flashlight on the side of the road and seeing hyena eyes and like just everything was different. It was literally, especially to, a 13-year-old's mind, like, going to an entirely different planet. Can, and, I, can I ask a question? Yes. Did it, did it register to you at that age also just that, that you blended in probably for the first time, like, physically? 
Like, was that mm. something that you remember noticing? No, I think there were, that was probably my first taste, and it's something that I still feel that um, I am, I'm a foreigner everywhere I go. Okay. Because in this country, people look at you as a foreigner if you're not white. And in that country, they looked at me as a foreigner because I was an American Lebanese man, not a Lebanese Lebanese man. So I was, I've never really, sure. like, I... I've sort of like um, built my own road and I'm comfortable in my own skin, but there's still that feeling that, or at least others like to impress the idea upon you that you're not this, you're not as American as they are or you're not as Lebanese as they are. I know how American I am, I know how Lebanese I am, so it's not really about that. But there was a lot of um, growth that I experienced when I was there over time, not just when I arrived there, but over time, that was the experience that made me proud to be different. Yeah. Because I went to a Catholic middle school. I mean, I grew up in Minneapolis with kids of all different races, but the school that I went to was mostly white kids. And we wore uniforms, and I was the one brown kid on the basketball team and on the baseball team and all that shit. And I remember when I, before I went to Lebanon, I just wanted to be like the other kids. I didn't want to be white. I just wanted to be a kid like the other kids. I just wanted to be... I didn't look at myself as being something different, even though... In hindsight, they they looked at me as being different. I didn't. I'm glad I didn't perceive that at the time. But when I went to Lebanon, I was like, I'm Lebanese because I'm Lebanese. When I went home, I wasn't afraid to speak Arabic to my parents in front of my friends, and I wasn't afraid to display the flag in my room. I wasn't afraid to bring my lunch to school that had tabbouleh yeah. in it. You know, so like all of those things. That's like almost a separate lesson because the lesson that I'm trying to impart regarding that first experience is for um it's just like what we were talking about with like the wire or indian food or breaking bad or anything like that that you haven't experienced or listening to lateralis um there's a part of me that is jealous of people that get to do that for the first time (laughs) but do it that's the key and that's i guess the lesson that i would try and set forth is that if you haven't done that like people who haven't left their block or haven't left their city or haven't left their state or haven't left the country like Go to there. I don't know where there is, but yeah. if, even if it's Mexico, even if it's, you know, French Canada, go to there. Like, pick that spot on the map. Go there. If you've never done it before, and I don't care what your age is, I mean, if you're in your 40s, it's going to be way more mind-blowing than it was to me as a 13-year-old. Because when I arrived, I didn't even realize what big of a deal it was. But when I left, I was crying on the plane. Sure. Because I didn't, I couldn't, like, I didn't want to let go of what I just found. Yeah. You know, I, like, found this thing. And we were there for a long time. We were there for, like, five or six weeks and when we departed I remember like feeling um you know an adrenaline of another sort it was like uh sadness but uh sadness born out of longing um so it was for a good reason it was I was I was sad because I found something I loved and I didn't want to let it go in that moment and so that's like the personal part but a lot of that is also born out of like being somewhere and experiencing things um, that I never had an opportunity to see or experience because those things don't exist in this land. They only exist in that land. And the same is true of other countries that I haven't been to yet. I've never been to Mexico or to Mexico City. That'll be the first time. But it won't be that first time going to a, another land where it's totally different from where I currently live. So, again, I feel I still feel the butterflies. Like, long show, what you're saying, when you perform, you still, see, you still feel mm-hmm. butterflies. If you're in a new place, new venue, big stage, outdoors, like, new audience, you still feel butterflies. But it's not the first stage. And the first stage for me was Lebanon. Mm-hmm. 
And so I envy yeah. anybody that gets to, that gets to experience that for the first time. And I encourage anybody who hasn't to do that thing. 100%. I think black people go through that <clears throat> on a different level mm. with Africans. So I've never been to Africa, right? Do you mind coming a little mm. closer to the mic? I've never been to yeah. Africa, but I know that as an African-American, right? Let's just call myself a black American. And it's different now in 2022 than it was even when I moved here in 2009 because there's a huge African population here in Minneapolis, obviously, right? Wow. Uh, with the refugee program and the services that are provided to immigrants and specifically Africans who come to America, to Minnesota. Great program here. Um, but a lot of those Africans, they'll be like, don't call me nigga. I'm not a nigga. I'm African. He's like, no, you're black. And you're in America. Right? Or I told y'all I didn't experience my first interactions with white people until I was 11. White classmates until mm. I was 11 and 12. So that was because those first 11 and 12 years, I was on the south side of Chicago. Then I got taken from that situation, moved into this group home. But when I moved to the group home, I would all the time run away. Every weekend, I would pack my shit up in a fucking black garbage bag, and I'd get on the L, and I'd go back to the south side. But when I went back to the south side, <laughs> they'd be like, why are you talking white? Damn. Mm. What? Uh, I... Talking the same way I was talking like two months ago before I got taken away. And then, then, I, then I'd stay there, and then they'd be like, you got to go back to the north side. And I'd go back to the north side, and they'd be like, why are you acting up so much? I.e., why are you being such a nigger? That's how I took it. And my grandmother would be like, she would say, I'm about to break you of this nigger shit. I'm about, to, I'm, about to, I'm about to teach you some shit. I'm about to teach you how to be a man in this world. But she would literally say, I'm about to break you of this nigga shit. Meaning like, you're not about to lie to me. You're not about to, <laughs> I remember one time I, she would have this drawer. You know how your parents have a drawer that has a whole bunch of random <laughs> shit in the drawer? Yeah. Batteries and tape and all this shit. <laughs> the junk and, drawer. Yeah, junk yeah. drawer. And she had right. a fucking, like a, 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 a pack of fucking mints. And I took the pack of mints. I don't even know how she knew I took the mints. Mm. She was like, you stole from me. I was 11. Mm. I stole mints. How did I steal mints from you? You didn't ask me for it. You stole from me. I don't care if you live here. You didn't ask me for it. These are the lessons that, yeah. that was the nigga shit that I was doing. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it's always been this dynamic even amongst black people. So I can't even imagine going to Africa. I can't imagine going to Africa and trying to, connect with my motherland yeah and connect with people who because in my head they're gonna reject me i'm not them to them you still I'm feel american that, do you still feel that you i'm still apprehensive about that yeah, yeah. do you is it something you want to try someday of course i was yeah. named i'm chad right i was named after chad yeah the country yeah so, yes, of course i i've longed ever since i was a little kid and i found out i would go to a fucking globe that's me mm. I can't wait to go there. 
And it's the poorest country in Africa. <laughs> but I still can't wait to go there. Yeah. And I still can't wait to even, I don't care where I go in Africa. I can't wait to go to Africa. Yeah. But I still am apprehensive about it because I'm like, am I going to be accepted? Am I, am I going to feel acceptance? Even if I'm not, am I going to feel that? So it's very interesting that you even brought that up and that that was an experience because, damn, mm -hmm. I, I, shit, I hope that I can be like 10 years from now, have that same question, be like, damn, I want to go back to the motherland. Yeah. I want to feel what I felt when I got off that plane and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. True story. The song off parades. Because mm -hmm. I, I don't know those lyrics right, like crazy, but we're, we're like, let's add this to the set list. The second verse, I say, I want to really feel free. Take me back to Africa. That's fine with me because that's probably where I really should be. You know what I'm saying? I feel it in the drums every time I hear a beat because that's what we're, the drums are African. The drums are ancestral. Yep. That, those are the first griots, the first people telling stories. That's how, you know what I'm saying? So you passed on knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So even in my subconscious, I'm like, damn, I, I need that. I want that. I long for that. So hopefully one day. I don't know. Yeah, I hope <laughs> we'll so see. too. Fuck, I want to cheers to that. I hope so too. And even like that form of exploration, even having been to other countries like that, I envy that, that you're going to be able to experience that yes. for the first time. Yep. And I hope it turns out like great for you. And I, I, I feel it in my heart that it's going to, it's going to be gratifying in a way that maybe you don't even understand yet. I hope so. You know, because I'm, I'm open to it. I'm, it's not something that I'm like, because there's a lot of, I, same, same thing where I say Africans are like, don't call me nigger. I know there's a lot of black Americans who are like, Shit, I'm sorry. you broke my phone. There's, oh, a lot, I'm <laughs> there's a lot of black Americans who are like, I ain't African. Yeah. I actually used to say that. That's why I say we win taught me so much. Sure. We're all African. Yeah. All, whole all of us, us are yep. tied to one woman. In Africa, how many ever fucking millions or hundreds, however the time period is, we are all tied to one woman in Africa. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, I need that for sure. Yep, we all just eventually travel different distances. Yep. yep. Yeah. Fair. Well, cheers. Yeah. Cheers to that, and cheers right. to your eventual you event your eventual adventure to Africa because now it's on now it's on tape yeah, too. Yeah, get it. We've, We've committed this to a recording that, like, with, that you have intention to do it, right? So, like, oh, what's happening? And we've yeah, we've absolutely. both been we've both been fortunate enough to not that you weren't going to do it anyways. Oh, what's yeah. happening? You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, yeah. All one right. Of my, one of my mentors is the is the executive uh, director of We Win, and she mm. is so adamant about like, yo, I want to get you to Africa. I want to I, I want to make sure that you experience this part of your life and culture. Savannah. Hey. Uh, nice all right. To meet you. Last question. Well, last topic. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to ask you because, as a as a fan of yours, I've loved the fact, and I always love the fact when I see an artist that can push a brilliant message, push a message of love, push a message of healing, but also still have fun from time to time because you need that balance inside. How do you find that balance inside of you? Like, do you, I know that's a, like, it's a lot to like take on, but 
we have to we have to be able to have both because too much on one or too much on the other, you're still going to end up either being nothing or being crushed. Yeah, right. I uh, um. Okay, obviously, I love Tupac, right? Yeah. He's the best example of, <clears throat> to me, an artist having a full spectrum of the human experience mm. reflected in their music, right? He can make Dear Mama. He can make Brenda's Got a Baby. He can make I Wonder Why They Call You Bitch. He can make I Get Around. Hit him up. Hit him up. That's why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. That's before the beat. <laughs> His best bars were not raps on that song. <laughs> That's legit. Okay, so we're talking about a man who was obviously very flawed. Yep. But knew those flaws and then displayed them out for the world, right? And I think that, like, for me, like, drawing upon, when I say, like, you know, not having my dad there and then getting taken from my mom and, you know, I had someone literally say to me the other day, how about you deal with trauma that's in real time right now meaning like how dare you draw upon you getting abandoned by your mom or your dad or get that that's not trauma today that you're, you should be dealing with and i was like well actually <clears throat> that trauma that you're speaking of informs how i talk to you how i deal with you and you could like, you could tell me to, I should be pushing it down and letting it go. But what if that shit don't let go of me? Mm. Again, we're talking about shit that, when I tell you that I'm dealing with trauma that my father did before I was born, I don't know nothing about, I don't know his middle name. I don't know nothing. I don't know the day he was born. Yeah. But I know that shit that he did has affected me and is still affecting me. And so we got to kind of be mindful of how we deal with every single person and then also how we are, like, dealing with ourselves yeah. in terms of how we deal with people, right? Because if, if, if I have been told that I ain't shit all day, all week, all month, and then I come to this, and I'm supposed to then be this cheerful, happy-go-lucky, and then empathetic, respectful person. I could try my hardest, but it's more so likely that I am going to be off. I'm not going to be as open. I won't be as vulnerable. And to me, that shit, that's a disservice for humanity. It's, it's not serving any of us any good. Um, and 
I, I want to make the biggest, I want to make the, the most impactful impact. It keeps going back to this. I just want to impact people's lives. That's why I work with kids. I, that's why I, I, I've seen at a show. When someone, and it, this literally has not failed, I, I promise you, every single time I perform, someone comes up to me after I'm done and they say, thank you. Or they say, you made me fucking cry. I was thinking about my mom. I was thinking about this or this or that. And so that's where it's like, all right, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm actually, um, I'm making an impact on someone's life who is going to in turn then do the same thing for someone else. Um, And if I don't do that, I shouldn't actually be making music. I shouldn't. Um, but also in that same sense, I, I know that people are like, like, again, it goes back to the instant for eternity, what I was saying, right? We're not always happy. We're not always sad. We're not always fucking mad. And even if we're in a state of anger, I literally have been, I've held this anger fucking ever since George... George Floyd was murdered. I've had to reevaluate every relationship with white people in my life. I broke up with a whole ass girlfriend who was white because I was like, I need to be with a black woman right now. Right now, in this, in this portion of my life, I need to be with a black woman, right? Now, that's a whole other thing, right? But still, I, that's what this made me do. And I've, I've been angry. But you know what? Like, I was telling someone, I literally, I'm about to come out with a, uh, a Halloween EP next, next Halloween because I've been, I've been writing a lot of songs about suicide and murdering people and fucking, like, the scary shit. And I'm like, but it has to come out. Yep. It has to come. If that shit didn't come out, I might murder a motherfucker. <laughs> I might kill myself. Actually. So it has to come out. The happy spread love has to come out. Mm. The whole range. Yeah. It ha- it, all of it. Yeah. If, you know what? I can't listen to, um, what's his name? Uh, Immortal Technique. You know why? Because he's always yelling at yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, if you ever met him, he's such a nice dude. <laughs> He's not yelling at you at all when he's talking to you. But his raps are so... And I I love Immortal Technique, but I can't listen to all Immortal Technique. You know, but I also can't listen to all fucking future. Right. Because I feel like, damn, nigga, that's all you talk about? Damn. (laughs) So I need to listen to Drake. I need to listen to Kanye. I need to listen to... Um, Tierra Whack. I need to listen to Toro. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I need to listen to artists who are expressing all of these things within one record. Because that's how I feel. Now, what we said earlier, if I'm just in a ratchet mood, I might listen to, you know, Megan Thee Stallion all day Ooh. or Cardi all day. Or, or literally, if I'm literally in like now, on the day of a show, all I listen to is Tupac, the day of a show. Mm. Mm. That's it. Or I'm listening to my, the, the show set. 
But anything else, I'm listening to Tupac because Tupac is putting me in a in a mindset of like focus of 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 my heart's intent. He's setting right my heart's intent. Actually, yeah. I'm not trying to be a thug. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to be. No, I actually want to be real and genuine. And that's that. Okay. If anyone knows anything about Tupac, he will tell you. He've all, he's always said, I ain't the best rapper. I'm the realest rapper. Mm. You're going to feel what I'm saying, whether you like, like those are the best bars. I, no, but you're going to be like, damn, look what did at, he just say? Look at any performance by him and try and tell me that you don't think that that's it's That's what real. we're talking about, like believability yeah. in that era. And yeah. he was as believable as That's why he's came. so important now. Yep. Yep. That's why right. he is so important now because you're still deeply Listen to changes, right? I remember listening to changes like the day after, the day after uh, George Floyd was murdered and was like, holy fuck, yeah. you don't respect the town, then we'll burn it down. Mm-hmm. This nigga was saying like, who else has ever talked about burning down a city because they felt disrespected as a fucking person? No rapper ever said that. No rapper. He said yeah. that shit in 1994. Yeah. Mind blowing. So that's what I mean. That's why I say I want to make music when 50 years, 100 years after I'm gone, I want my first listening to parades. Yes. I want them listening to FTP. Yep. I want them listening to spread love. Yep. And being like, damn, this is where we either are or where we need to go. Mm. Still. Still. It's beautiful. I don't know if it's beautiful, but that is the point. That is what it's supposed to be about. That's what it's all about for me. Yeah, I need to. Too. I need to hit all these things because we all hit all these things. Yeah, but I, I guess to me, like that's the beauty in it is that when you involve everything, then you could finally paint a real picture. You know, like that's I, I, I mean, Charles, where where are you on that? This is a good exercise, even for vocalizing intentions because i i work hard i have made a good life for myself but i see the rest of the world and sometimes it um i'm struck with a sense of guilt when i experience nice things right so that's we're talking about the balance between having fun and then um also contributing to society so i try to find like ways to volunteer my services and and the work that I do, like making signs in Spanish for the uh, Minneapolis teacher strike, uh, making like logos for um, the um, um, uh, various campaigns around town for um, boys and girls club. Like I've, I've made logos for them for various events that they've done, things like that. Uh, Quam and myself, did a really cool thing a few years ago that I think about all the time and I want to do more of when we brought a bunch of kids to watch Black Panther at a movie theater. I, I always want to effort to do more things like that, but like I was, I've been like straining over whether to even talk about this because it's something that like for me has been just something that I do in private and I, the only reason I would vocalize it or put it on a recording is maybe it would encourage someone else who maybe feels the same kind of guilt that I do when I experience nice things to do something similar. 
and like it kind of brings me embarrassment to even talk about it because I, I this isn't about bringing attention to myself but when I was in San Francisco with my wife um, who wasn't my wife at the time like five years ago we were going to a nice restaurant in Chinatown and I literally had to step over a uh, houseless gentleman on the sidewalk to get into the restaurant and I lost my appetite because I felt ill that I can, why should I be able to be in here and he has to be out there? It, it was, I had, I struggled with that as one should, like anybody should struggle with that. It was just very like literal having to do that to get to where I was going. It just, I just felt like, it made me feel like a piece of shit. So I did manage to compose myself and enjoy the evening with my wife. But what I did after we got back to the hotel is I recused myself to the restroom and I went on my phone and I made a donation to a, a houselessness campaign. And again, I, I genuinely feel dread even talking about this because I'm not trying to draw attention to myself, but it's something I do now every time I eat at a fine restaurant. Mm -hmm. I eat at a really nice restaurant, I go home and I make a donation to houselessness, uh, people who are struggling to feed themselves. Now, Planned Parenthood, you know, things like that that are really important right now. It doesn't have to be peripheral, but just like something where I can feel like if I can treat my, if I can afford to treat myself to a lavish dining experience, I better be able to afford to help people that would benefit from uh, some sort of contribution from me as well. So it's something that I feel really strongly about. And it's something that like, I don't know, maybe somebody who's listening to this will pick this up as a habit as well. Uh, and I still feel like there's no amount of, there's a no amount, there are no amount of things that I could do in terms of donating creative services or uh, donating funds that will make me feel like uh, what it's like a even playing field, yeah. you know? Like I know that I've put myself in a position in my life where I'm, I'm on an uneven plane and I'm always going to feel guilt about that, but I think it's a healthy guilt. I think that we should feel that way. Yes. Uh, economic disparity has never been the way that it is around the world. It's not just like a handful of cities. Now it's just like, it's literally an epidemic across our globe and we need to be cognizant of it. And it means that you don't have to be ashamed to enjoy yourself, but you should still be able to look in the mirror and um, pay penance, you know? Recognize you your blessings. I yes, that. <laughs> right. Like you can say like, I'm, I'm proud of myself and I'm, I'm happy and blessed uh, to be in the position that I'm in. You can, do, it's not mutually exclusive. You can feel like that, but still feel like it's not fair that other people didn't have those opportunities, you know? I'm not special. Like, I didn't get where I am just because of my abilities. A lot of things led to me getting to where I am. And some of those things are, like, uh, advantages that I encountered that some, that many, 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 many droves of people were not able to encounter. A hand they couldn't shake or a step they couldn't walk across. So I want to always remain cognizant of how privileged I am to be in the position that I'm in and continue to look for ways that I can help other people grab my hand and step up that step. And that includes, I mean, if you're listening to this, 
look, it doesn't got to be Pride Month. It doesn't have to be Black History Month. Yes. I don't yes. like the topical yes. nature of we can only do things like, and then, you know, the can the calendar flips over and then we're like, well, I guess we can't sell these rainbow shirts anymore. I hate that. If you have some sort of a cause that is related to anything in, in those realms or in other realms or even like, I know everything with Planned Parenthood is like super topical right now because of bodily autonomy and stuff like that, but we didn't need that to care, right? Yeah. We didn't yeah. need that to to care about those things or any of the other things that I've talked about or houselessness encampments or people who are struggling for resources. We don't need something to happen for us to care because when that happens, we only care temporarily. When, you know, like when George Floyd was murdered, we cared the most at the beginning and then we cared less and less as time went on. We can't just care when something like that happens. We have to care all the time. Nothing's going to change if we only care when something terrible happens. Like, I've been seeing the shit on uh, social media about the Uvalde police playing on their phones and shit while children are being murdered. Are we only going to care about that for a couple months and then say, never mind until the next tragedy of that nature? Or are we going to hold them accountable for fucking getting hand sanitizer while kids are being summarily executed feet away from them? And they never even tried the door that they said they were trying to find a key to. I know this is charged, but like... What I'm saying is you can still live your life. I, I'm not saying don't live your life. If you choose to dedicate your life to service, then right. you're a better man, woman, or otherwise than I am. I will give you that credit all day. But what I'm saying is you can live your life and still reflect on how privileged you are because there are modicums of privilege. There's a lot of privilege and there's a little privilege, but Many of us are privileged in different ways and we need to reflect on those ways and then just continually strive to find ways to help people that don't have the level of privilege that we have. Wherever you are on that ladder, <laughs> seek to help the people who are anywhere below you on that ladder of privilege. And I know, again, it's easier said than done. It's just something that like, I encourage you to try and think about. Just try to observe it. After you have that nice meal, you go to that three-star Michelin restaurant and you go back and you're satisfied and you're proud of getting there and doing that and accomplishing that and having a nice evening, you know, maybe recuse yourself to the bathroom, look yourself in the mirror and say, who can I help right now while I'm still thinking about it? And then just like ship a 50 spot to Planned Parenthood. And then, you know, like that doesn't make, that doesn't make the world an even playing field, but it's just doing something without being called to action. And in one other time, are you less called to action than when you realize like what a great life you have? Mm -hmm. So maybe like try and contextualize that to think more about what you can do for other people in a time when you least should. The, I 100% agree with all that. And I'm going to say that my answer like personally is, is almost the inverse of that in mm -hmm. that it's okay to laugh and it's okay to let loose a little bit because that's letting the steam out of the pressure cooker a little yeah. bit. Because if you take on all of the bad in this world constantly, you will weigh yourself down and eventually you will find a way to break yourself. And as long as you're being cognizant of that, we, like, that's the, the purpose of music was to carry on stories but also give everybody time to celebrate each other and give it a little reprieve from everything in the world trying to kill us going you know back thousands of years that still has to be a thing and we still have to find those those ways to laugh and looking at 
at balancing that out, it's also then the flip side of make sure that when you're enjoying yourself and when you're laughing and you're having a good time, you're also still cognizant of the world around you. Like that's, <laughs> there is absolutely nothing that I could possibly say that would, that would be like, it's tough being super privileged. I'm not trying to say that, but I will say that like from, from my standpoint as a massive giant, uh, straight white guy, the fact that we're actually finally talking about that we exist in a world that was built for people who basically look like me, that doesn't mean that you can't dismantle the things around it. Like that should be my job and our job. Just because of that though, it doesn't mean that you have to completely stop living a life, but have empathy for everything around you. Get the fuck out of your own ass. Stop smelling your own farts and look around at everything around you. And if you can start working on dismantling those things around you, you'll find out that there's a lot more people that want to laugh with you, that want to enjoy things with you, that want to do things with you. It's, it's not, there's this weird tribalism that people are, are on a lot of sides are pushing one side very, very, very violently. And that's the scariest thing for me because the whole point of this should be figuring out that we're all in this together. Like there's, this is a tiny rock floating around a giant ball of fire in the middle of millions and billions of those same things. Yeah, some high def photos literally right. released this week. Like how can you how look, how can you look at that fucking photo and right. somehow think that you're because fine. your skin is a slightly different shade or you have slightly yeah. different parts of somebody next to you that you're better or fucking worse. Get out. You are missing the entire experience of humanity. You're missing the entire reason that art exists. You're missing the entire reason that people want to laugh and people want to dance. That's, you know how lucky you are that you even exist. Right. At the same time as fucking tacos and hip hop and Prince. Mm. Like, you're in this and you're still someone like, like, that guy doesn't look like me. I don't like it. It's so fucked. And I think that the easiest cop out is people think that, well, but if I really start getting involved, then it's going to be too tough. Shut the fuck up. Do the work. Yeah. You can still do work and also do fun. I, I, I don't want to say it like that, but you can enjoy your life and also be yeah. a better person. It's not all or nothing. Yeah, it, it's not at all. And you, it, I'll guarantee you, if you start being a better person, you're going to also start enjoying your life a whole lot more. You probably might get better. Right? Like, I mean, to, to, to bring it back, honestly, long shot to you, the fact that you're using that word healing that's what needs to happen. And you know what? As somebody who has fucked up himself a lot, there is not much better on earth that feels better than healing. But healing also takes work. It takes diligence. It takes pushing yourself. It takes doing it things that are... to get better. Yeah, it hurts to get... It 100% yeah. does. There are so many times that I have dreamed of cutting my ankle off or cutting my finger off. I, liter I have literally stubbed my toe so hard, I fantasized about cutting it off in that moment. <laughs> but you know what? I want that toe. Yeah. And it's going to take a lot longer. It's going to hurt while I walk. Yep. But guess what? It's going to eventually get better if I take care of it, yep. if I do the work. Yep. If I, it, we don't have to get involved in all the, well, if I do this, then, then yeah, but what that? No. Take a step back and look at your position in your own little 
little world, your own little fiefdom, look at where you're at and figure out, am I doing anything to help the people around me? If the answer is no, then do something. Mm. If the answer is, well, I'm having these great experiences, but I don't know what to do, then start asking questions or get better friends. Yeah. You know, like look up something that you care about and, and, and try and find a charity that, that mm. devotes that. You know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to save the entire world. You can just look around at your own community and say, what can I be better at? How do I help heal this? It's like time, right? Time is relative. Healing's relative. Yeah. Healing isn't a linear thing either. It's like, you're going to go through, you're going to do things, try different things. Like, try them. Yep. Imagine, imagine if, like, right now, if somebody walked in and stabbed me in the arm and everyone in the room started arguing about what kind of knife it was that stabbed me. <laughs> but nobody actually wanted to do anything to, to stop the bleeding, to sew it up, Real and talk. to heal it. Uh, That's what the fuck we're doing right uh, now. That's all we're doing. Yeah. We are watching everything that we say we love, everything that we print on, on money and on paper and on red, white, and blue shit. We're watching that bleed out while arguing over what stabbed it instead of trying to figure out how to fix it. And there are times where that can get to be so frustrating that you almost have to laugh. And there are times that that laugh or that dance can also give you back some energy to keep up the fight. And part of the reason I wanted to ask that question is you've written songs that have completely moved me in ways that I can't ever move back. But also, I've just played your shit when I've been at a club and people dance their asses off. And to be able to walk that to be able to walk that and do it so well on both sides is something that I really admire. And I wanted to ask an artist how, how you do that because that can't be an easy walk to walk. Yeah, it's just life. I think that like being in tune with like who you are. I think a lot of times when, we're, um, when we lash out at people or when we, like, when we are super consumed by anger and we're con super consumed by like negativity, a lot, and then we're like actually like projecting these things, that negativity and that anger out onto other people. I think a lot of times either we don't know who we are or we've lost like contact with that yeah. person. Mm. Like straight up, I think a lot of people don't know who they actually are, meaning like That's what real. is your heart's intent? What do you actually stand for? If I get into a fight with Josh, which we've done, we've gotten to arguments where, like, it has been like, fuck you right now. I am not fucking with you right now, right? Mm. But then how many ever, whatever the time passes, I can call this man or he can call me and be like, I need to talk to you or I need someone to come over right now or whatever the fuck it is, yeah. like... Like, I, I know that man's heart. I know his heart's intent. I know my grandmother's heart's intent, even if she chastises me and, mm -hmm. and tries to break me of my niggerish ways. I know her heart's intent. She's not calling me a nigger. You know, she's not saying that that's what I actually am. She's saying, I don't want you to be perceived that. Yeah, I don't want people looking at you that way because that's not what's inside of you, actually. I know that. So 
that's being comfortable with who we are and knowing who we are is very much important in how we like treat other people and how we yeah, go about this whole, this whole world because a lot yes. of us are out here lost yeah. and fucked up you know and then especially if you aren't doing the work in terms of if you aren't taking therapy or if you aren't doing finding out what you're meant supposed to be or whatever the fuck the work is yeah yeah going to be an amazing night um it's going to be max chilling it's going to be one below it's going to be long shot it's going to be manny duke um it's going to be voice of culture and it's literally just all about um opening our hearts and opening our ourselves to um experience music art and experience people in a way that um hopefully is just flat out um, healing and hopefully is something that people can come experience and then walk away from and be like, yo, I feel a little bit better about myself or I feel a little bit better about the scene. Yeah. I feel a little bit better, a little bit better about hip hop, whatever you, whatever you take from it. Um, I just want people to feel better walking away from the night, September 10th. If people want more info, where do they find it? Um, my Instagram is long shot you um that's the only social media i got right Perfect. now i've got Bandcamp. you look up long shot if you just google mc long shot you'll find yeah, all you of the website you got a website portal Google-able. too i got an mclongshot.com website it's yeah you just google me and you'll find it out or if you google chad heslop you might find a couple of like <laughs> police things in there but i never i ain't got no felonies or nothing like that i ain't never done that crazy yeah, i kicked out of a fucking police car window when i was like 25 you know beautiful and we talked about like you know the last thing i'm gonna talk about i have a huge survivor's guilt i feel huge like why am i still alive when george floyd's been murdered why am i still alive when uh, all these other people who have been murdered by police. I used to fucking reverse profile police. I would wave down a police car, flick him off. He'd get out of his car, and I'd be like, fuck you, you asshole. You hate uh, black people, and I'm pulling you over because this is what you do to us. And I've never been murdered, and, I'm, you know, and I'm, I've never been arrested off that shit, literally. Damn. So I identify what you're talking about in terms of like guilt and just like, why me? Like, why do I get to do these nice things? Or why do I get to live out my dreams? And they didn't. So I, I identify hardcore with what you're saying with that. And so, like, but, but with what you're saying as well, like, live your life. There's a reason why we're here. There's a reason why we get to do these things. That's God has a plan. The universe has a plan. Let's live that shit out. And let's fucking spread the love. Man. Let's do Fuck it. Yeah. That's all I want to do. Uh, instead of for for everybody listening, f- instead of uh, ending it with Laserbeak's outro, uh, we're actually going to end this yeah. show with a full performance of Parades from Longshot, uh, the first song that I fell in love with f- it, with from him. And oh my God, uh, listen to it, listen to it, and listen to it again. It's the one song in hip hop history that actually is never done. It's not finished. Yeah, you know why. But yeah, because it's not because there's more names. There's more names that get no. added to it every single fucking day, every day. That's something to think on, y'all. Yep. Thank y'all for listening. Yes. Thanks See you for next time. joining us. Thank Cheers. y'all for having me. Rest in peace, human rights. Dodging bullets, machines seeing the straight. 
cock a bullet, but he received it as pay. Pay attention, they let you in other ways. Color ways on their mind, we find it every day. They were murdered, but they never heard it. Say you killed yourself and never see a verdict. Through. We kill a cop and you're facing a blade. And the motherfucker get a parade. But what that sound like? Will you kill the Kia boy? Will you kill Sandra Blair? Will you kill Eric Garner? They ain't getting no damn parade. Will you kill Mike Brown? Will you kill Terrence Franklin? Will you kill Fong Lee? They ain't getting no damn parade. So let's sound right in line. black babies dying daily on the scene. Media make sure it's a negative scene. Turn your computer wrong. And it's another dead brown or a mother shedding tears Cause her daughter was two years away from graduation But the bullet from a fake got a dead I was lost to feel at peace Man, fuck the police They say this I'm a good but in my hood they never came But the thunder from a Philly club on my brain remains And the stain of medicine blood Could never be washed away You should have lots to say when it came to lay your verse Mama finna smoke cause she can't even pay the hearse Graveyard on the floor, we knowin' this as a fact Still open season on innocent poor blacks Will you kill Tamir Rice? Will you kill Trayvon Martin? Will you kill Sean Bell? They ain't get no death parade. Will you kill Hunley Green? Will you kill Shamir Palmer? Will you kill Darius Gray? They ain't get no death parade. So that's where you at? D.C. in the south side Chicago like I was on they killing them outside Outline body chalk, we talk with much pride Tough strides when we walk protesting about lies They said they trying to feed us to feed us to Norvell Black slack feeders like Malcolm fresh out of jail Hell, I ain't asking for no reparations I just don't want my freedom to feel like segregation Yeah, we living in a nation of races that ain't facing consequences for the actions I ask Can we replace them? With a better understanding of us Ain't no sitting, only standing it up Now let's celebrate the precious lives that they took too soon And they got to see their lives full bloom These are roses that I'm holding and I'm giving in a form of a song Keep quiet if you think it'll be wrong, but my people say Let's celebrate those gone too soon Black Lives Matter Will you kill Curry Wesley? Will you kill Earl Jackson? Will you kill Dante Martin? They ain't get no damn parade Will you kill Freddie Blue? Will you kill Ramel Wade? Will you kill Sam Holmes? They ain't get no damn parade Will you kill Jimmy Lee? Will you kill Andre Hamilton? Will you kill Sean Crawford? They ain't get no damn parade Will you kill Ezell Ford? Will you kill Tanisha Anderson? Will you kill Wayne Brisbane? They ain't get no damn parade. Let's celebrate their life. Celebrate their life.